When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, a typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. From ABC News, I'm Brian Clark. Details are scarce, but police in Sacramento say six people are dead and nine others were hurt in an overnight shooting in the city's downtown. They don't know the exact circumstances that led up to this shooting, but they are urging everyone to stay away from this area as they continue to investigate. That's ABC's Irene Shah. Russian forces shifting their targets in Ukraine. An overnight airstrike hit Odessa, Ukraine's largest port. ABC's Terry Moran says Russian forces have largely left the area around the capital. The danger in the north is far from over. Ukrainian military officials say Russian forces are planting mines in homes and in the streets, even under the dead as they fall back. Pyrotechnics team work in liberated towns around Keith, checking under every bush, in every hole for explosive devices left behind. Officials say in just 24 hours, they found over 1,500 units in the town of Dmitrivka alone, where under a layer of mist, smoke is still rising from the wreckage of tanks. Human Rights Watch published a report alleging war crimes committed by Russia. Ukraine's calling on the International Criminal Court to open a case. More than four million refugees have fled the country, most of them women and children. That is stressed infrastructure in neighboring countries like Poland. ABC's Maria Villarreal is in Warsaw. New data shows at least 75,000 students have enrolled in Polish schools so far. For now, that's just over 10 percent of those eligible, meaning more will likely enroll soon. Senate Judiciary Committee will vote tomorrow on advancing Supreme Court nominee Judge Kentanji Brown-Jackson to the full Senate for an official confirmation vote. At college basketball's men's Final Four in New Orleans, North Carolina beat Duke, ending the career of legendary coach Mike Krzyzewski. They'll play Kansas for the title Monday. Tonight, the Women's National Championship pits Connecticut and South Carolina. You're listening to ABC News. We all reach tipping points in life. The weight of a low-paying job, unpaid bills, a new family. You can't keep going. That's where My Computer Career can help. In just months, not years, they can help you start a new life as an IT pro, even with no prior experience. Impossible? You learn online from home, and My Computer Career offers lifetime career services to help you find jobs with companies begging for IT pros. Go to mycomputercareer.edu and take the free career evaluation. It's not rocket science. It's mycomputercareer.edu. You're the one everyone looks to for answers. Come rain or shine, the job must get done. And you're the one who makes it happen. We get you, Jackie in Fresno, putting your employee safety first. And Manny in Chattanooga, whose local Granger team knows him by name. We're here for you and all the ones who get it done. With 24-7 customer support and access to product specialists to help you find what you need. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. 
All right, just out of gardening, gardening. Let's talk for a minute about uh, Fanix Nursery. Speaking of gardening, boy, they're stocked up on things. And this is the second day, the last day of their big Espoma sale. If you like those organic products uh, that end in tone, plant tone, rose tone, biotone, all those things, 20% off through the rest of the day today. So uh, be sure and get over to Fanix and check it out. And while you're there, check out the roses. Oh, man, they've got roses in bloom, everything from hybrid teas to climbing roses to tree roses to floribundas to miniatures if it's a rose probably going to find it over at Fanix this weekend too and well stocked on everything from citrus to perennials to all sorts of vegetable plants just spring and you know with 10 acres of nursery you've got room for a lot of different material and don't forget they carry things besides plants these days too like that ego uh, the lithium-ion battery-powered equipment you could be out there this morning with that leaf blower or that line trimmer and you wouldn't even disturb your neighbors because they're practically silent you need to check that out and check out the Traeger pellet grills and supplies while you're there. Fanix, right where they've been for 85 years over on Home Green Road, open every day between now and Easter. Go see them. Here at Total Wine and More, you'll find what you love and love what you find. I like this flavored gin, but want something new. You will love this one. <gasps> wow. You're good. Find what you love, love what you find. Only at Total Wine and More. Pickup and delivery available at TotalWine.com. Drink responsibly. B21. This is a metaphor for your business's journey. Sometimes it feels like you're going 100 miles an hour, barely keeping up. But to cruise through challenges, you need someone who's right there with you. That's what Dell Technologies Advisors do. They have the Windows PCs and tech advice you need to get past whatever's in front of you and get where you want to go. Call an advisor today at 877-ASK-DELL. That's 877-ASK-DELL. A start to a simpler experience with Windows 11 Pro. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. All right, and a very good Sunday morning to everybody out there. Very, very pleasant day. It's uh, You don't have to be wearing your jacket. Now you just have to put long sleeves on for the first hour or so of the day. But it's going to be another gorgeous day. Oh, you may have lots of fiesta activities planned, or you may be planning to stay home and work in the garden, and, well, whatever whatever gardening questions you have or nature-related questions you have, you know the number, uh, it's 210-599-5555, but don't dial it right now because all those lines are taken. We're going to talk to Trudy and Mark and Janie and Clint, and, uh, gosh, no reason to put to make anybody wait any longer so let's just get started with the phone calls and trudy is first good morning trudy good morning bob another great day i'm 85 years old so every day i wake up is a good day well i think you sound 85 years young to me not 85 <laughs> years old <laughs> well i am i'm calling about crepe myrtles i have relatives in johnson city that want to plant crepe myrtles and they okay. do everything right so that's why I'm calling you. <laughs> so um, they want to shade their windows that face west. 
and great uh-huh. myrtles can't get too much sun, can they? If you oh water no, the, them the more sun, the more sun a crepe myrtle gets, the uh, the better it blooms. It would love the hot west sun. It's, it'd be impossible to give a crepe myrtle too much sun. So okay. I think it's a good choice. Now, of course, I'm sure they realize that the crepe myrtle is going to drop all the leaves in the winter, but they'll probably be happy for those <laughs> warming rays of sun during the colder months, and you know, then the shade in the summer months. It sounds That's like an ideal so place beautiful. to plant them. They're so beautiful in the summer. But how often do you water them and how long? I, I, I'm sorry, what was the question about them? How often oh, do oh, you how water often? them and for how long? Well, when you first plant them, they will probably need water every couple of days. Uh, the thing to do is just feel the soil right at the base of the plant and water them thoroughly enough to be sure that you have totally moistened the root ball. Do not rely on a sprinkler to do it. They need to get out there with that hose and, you know, just water it very, very, very thoroughly. And when first starting out, it's going to be every couple of days. Once a crepe myrtle is established, they probably only have to water once every two or three weeks. But that's a year down the road. So at first, they, they need to be watering frequently. Do be sure to tell them to watch how deeply they plant. Because most of the crepe myrtles sold come to you in, you know, already planted too deep in the pot. So when they plant, they need to break the soil away down to where those big roots start flaring out from the back. And uh, that, that's probably the single most important thing. Depending on the size of crepe myrtle, I suspect they're going to want something that's at least 10 feet tall to really shade those windows. They, they want it to grow 20 to 25 feet high, maximum. Okay. Okay. Uh, they, if they... If, well, there are a lot of different ones. Uh, there are a couple of beautiful, very dark red ones. One of them is called Dynamite. The other is called Red Rocket. And they're going to get, I'd say, 18 to 20 feet. And the color's just absolutely beautiful on those. There are uh, good white ones. One of them is called Acoma, A-C-O-M-A. Another one is called Natchez, like Mississippi, and A-T-C-H-E-Z. And those you are beautiful, pure bright whites. Yellow. Can, do you know a name of a bright yellow? There's not a yellow crepe myrtle. That's oh, one that's color they haven't. So. Okay. <laughs> They, uh, they they haven't come up with the yellows yet. Pinks and purples and reds and whites, but <laughs> no yellow crepe myrtles yet. If you find one that's yellow, it's not healthy. <laughs> it's not a good thing. But there there are lots of varieties, and uh, I, I think that's a real good choice. How about a, a pink? Do you Can you think of a name of a good pink? Uh, light pink or a dark pink? Dark pink. Um, dark pink. Pink. Oh gosh. Or either one. Any pink. The the light pink one that gets big is called Basham's B A S H A M. Basham's party pink. And uh that's a light pink. Uh, I was trying to remember the dark pink. It just doesn't come to my mind right now. There, there are three or four real good ones. The uh, old-fashioned one that uh, they just co- used to call hardy red is uh, sort of a watermelon pink color, and that is the really rich, rich pink. Uh, that would be a good choice for them as well. Okay, and oh, a few, just a couple more questions. How close to the house can they be planted without causing foundation problems? Would eight feet be enough? Oh, eight feet would always be plenty. Do you know if their home is on a slab or on pier and beam? 
I'm sure it's on the slab. Okay. Well, they, they could plant it six inches and uh, wouldn't cause any problem to the foundation. It would cause problems, however, to the soffits, to the eaves of the house. So they need to be planted far enough out that they won't interfere, you know, with the leaves and the shingles on the edge of the house. But there's nothing under a slab that uh, roots want. So those crepe myrtles are going to grow 99.9% of their roots out away from the house rather than under the house. So I'm not at all concerned about the slab, but I don't want them getting up there and, you know, messing up the uh, shingles or the roof when the wind blows. So I'd say six feet out is plenty. If they want to go eight feet, that's even better. Okay, now these that you mentioned, they don't have problems because you, you've talked about problems that crepe myrtles have before on your program. Well, these are all mildew-resistant. Uh, if we get six weeks of rain, which doesn't happen very often in Johnson no, City or anywhere around here, if we get day after day after rain, no crepe myrtle is going to be immune from the mildew. And if they will, keep that root flare exposed and check that very carefully. Aphids will not be a problem. A lot of people, there's just so many of the crepe myrtles are buried too deeply. And when you do that, you stress the plants. When the stress plants get stressed, they get aphids and then you get that black city mold growing on them. But if they plant them right and keep them properly watered and fertilized, they're not going to have any problems with any of them. Okay, I just want to ask you one other question. They said there's been no blue bonnets in the pastures for six or seven years. What's happened to the blue bonnets? A lot, well, just about everything that happens with blue bonnets is due to weather. Um, the other thing in many of the pastures around the herb the uh, farmers and ranchers have gone to using herbicides which are you know they're okay on the grasses but they're very hard on the blue bonnets along the highways of course the idiots that you know if they state has running the thing they they mow at the wrong time and that's really cut down on the number of them along the side of the road but out on the pastures it's either just the ongoing drought or unfortunately when the ranchers get out there and spray these herbicides and kill everything except the grass they kill the blue bonnets too what i'm seeing on blue bonnets this year is that they are all short i've hardly seen a blue bonnet over four or five inches tall <laughs> and that's just that's just due to the drought but oh, okay. uh, the the biggest problem in our pastures is uh, people using herbicides that uh, uh, they just ought to be outlawed, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for all this information. I really appreciate you. I listen to you all the time. Trudy, I appreciate it. And you get out and enjoy this, uh, this day to the maximum extent possible. I am. Okay. Thank you so much. Hug okay. Bye-bye. All right. Next in line is Mark. Good morning, Mark. Good morning to you, sir, from Houston. Well, and to you as well, how's everything in the in the big city to the east? Well, I don't want to talk too much about the big city. There's plenty of uh, reasons for going down on that one. So you know, there, it's a funny thing. It uh, we have a customer that for a long time had a weekend place here in San Antonio and lived in Houston. They live here all the time now. But I remember delivering, I think I delivered a fountain to them, and they had a big sign up in their backyard that said, Life is too short to live it in Houston. <laughs> so they, I've got a lot of friends in Houston, and uh, there are parts of Houston I enjoy, but gosh, you can keep your traffic and your politics. <laughs> yeah, well, we're down in the southern part in what they call Clear Lake City, which is not a city at oh, all. Yeah. So, uh, but the Get problem is so much of the, yep, yeah, actually Wendy's almost back door to 
to NASA. Very but uh, unfortunately, we have to go through the city to get the things that we want to see and do and doctors and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to mention that your call screener was uh, playful this morning. I, I, I started... <laughs> <laughs> what did he do to you? <laughs> okay, well, I've in order to get in, I started calling pretty early, and uh-huh. when I finally got in, which is normally a surprise, he's, he says, uh, you know, I, I just announced myself as Mark from Houston, want to talk to Bob, and he said, you want to talk to Bob? This is pretty early, isn't it? <laughs> and then, then he said, what's the password? And he got me. <laughs> He Chris is a character. He's he's one of the smartest guys I know, and he's an outstanding engineer. But you should be complimented because obviously you have a smile in your voice because he only teases people like that. But he had the funniest <laughs> thing. One day he had convinced a lady that she had to pay per question and that would be added to her phone bill. <laughs> so when the mornings that, the mornings that Chris is doing my engineering, uh, you takes your chances <laughs> when you call. But uh, that's a new one. I. Uh, I hadn't, I hadn't heard that line yet, but uh, it's, uh, I don't know. It keep, keeps life interesting, shall we say. Well, it does, and I think it relaxes you, because when you start you know, smiling, you can't be nervous. So oh, it, it was yeah. more than a smile. I mean, I, he, this is one of those LOL moments for me. Truly, laugh out loud. Yeah. So. Good for him. Give him a little extra this week. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell the boss, you know, tell him uh, it, uh, not that it does any good at all, but I'll certainly pass the good word along when I talk to the boss, okay. and uh, I appreciate okay, it. Okay, great. Great. And I also want to mention that we used the freeze miners ah, this year, uh-huh. and, and uh, they did their job. Uh, along about 37, 38 degrees, they started dripping They're real, real They're slow. And, and then when it got down uh, to about 30 or 31 it, it was a um, you know fairly steady you know not not pouring out but so thanks for the uh, suggestion and by the way we bought them here in houston at a dog um hotel <laughs> well, I guess uh, everybody's getting out on the act. Uh, I, I respect them because they refuse to sell to the box stores, but independent merchants, uh, I, that's interesting. That's the first I've heard of that. It's usually hardware stores and nurseries and things like that, but uh, they probably know it. But next time I, next time I see them, I'll tell them, uh, tell them they even got a dog store, dog hotels, uh, selling them now. Very good. Well, Apparently he has a ranch and he uses them on the ranch, and so that's yep. why he stocks them because they yep. really work. Okay, the, the nut of the question here: I can't find trigogramma wasps anywhere in Houston. We've called or been to virtually every uh, decent nursery, even some of the um, organic ones and mm-hmm. Buchanan's. In fact, when I went I to Buchanan's, when we went to Buchanan's, Buchanan's, yeah, the the guy that was in the chemical shack, I asked him about it, and it took me a couple sentences to get him to understand what I was talking about. He said, oh, yeah, we, we used to carry them. We don't carry them anymore. And I said, well, how come? He said, well, their customers were complaining that that product messed with Mother Nature. And I'm thinking, my gosh, that's exactly Mother Nature. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're a native wasp, and all you're doing is reinforcing the population. You've got a, a little platoon of soldiers out there, but when you, when you start putting out the extra ones, you've got a battalion out there to go after them. I'm sure that you can find them online um there is one of the places and i don't think these are the people that actually produce them but uh there's a company up in colorado springs um that uh that ships a lot of things uh like that but um 
Oh, well, and the name of the company, by the way, is Hydro Gardens. You might uh, get on their website, and I'm pretty sure they would mail them to you. They simply put them in a little insulated envelope and mail them. Mm -hmm. But uh, they are very, very effective. If you know anybody in the pecan growing business, that's what virtually all the pecan growers, they've just stopped spraying their trees because the trichogramma is so effective at stopping that little nutcase bearer, which is so destructive to the pecan crops. Uh, So if you know anybody in the pecan business, you could probably just tag along to one of their orders, but if you just have a you know standard residential lot, you don't need more than one or two of those little strips. So this is not a big investment or anything, uh, you know, just crazy expensive. But uh, I'm sure uh, there there are two or three insectaries in Texas. The one we use, like I say, is mainly up in Colorado and uh, called Hydro Gardens in Colorado Springs. And you give them a mm-hmm. call, and I'm almost certain they'd happily put a couple of strips in a in a little insulated envelope, drop them in the mail to you. Well, we've seen them on, on that site. I've been there that site. But I think that's one that also describes that there's two different kinds of them. And I didn't get a chance to read the whole article, but uh, now i got to choose between a couple of different uh, varieties of them. I didn't quite understand what that was about. So I was hoping I, maybe you knew of a – oh, go ahead. I, I, I suspect that they may actually blend them. Uh, this is a company we get our beneficial nematodes from, and they actually put five species of nematodes in the mix because some of the nematodes go after grubs, some of them go after fleas, some of them go after you know different problematic things. So uh, the trichogram, I was not aware that there was more than one species, but I, I will check that out. But I, I think, uh, are, are you going after any particular problem the gall worms or the or the uh, web worms what what are you most interested in putting the trichogramma out for well it's the grape leaf skeletonizers that wiped out every grape bush i had okay. last year okay. and you had suggested the trichogramma wasp yep. is a, yep. well call hydro gardens and tell them which one you're looking for the people are just you know impeccably honest and they will tell you what you are looking for and if they don't have it i imagine they can point you to someone who does if that doesn't work out call me back and uh i'll get on the phone and see what i can find out for you superb thank you very much again sir take care thank you thank you for your sense of humor and like you say uh in my my line is that you know you can't have a negative thought when you have a smile on your face and i don't totally agree with that because i sometimes think of getting even with some of the (laughs) some of the bad things but a smile goes a long way toward making your day better and obviously you know that as well mark i appreciate the call and uh i'm sure chris is sitting over there with a smile on his face too thinking what he can do to you next time he calls so you get out and have I'm prepared now. I'm prepared now. Thank you, sir. Take care. You're welcome. Thank you. All right. You better get a break in here, and then we'll be talking to uh, Janie and Clint. I get to talk to you about Medina. And, well, I'll tell you how much we think of Medina's fertilizers. We've got 26 tons of fertilizer from them. Uh, let's see, that would have been Friday afternoon. They're just a great company making absolutely top-quality products. Their growing green fertilizer is just good for everything that grows. Grass, trees, shrubs, ground covers, vegetable gardens, flower beds. Just an outstanding fertilizer. You can put it out 365 days a year. It doesn't matter if it's wet or dry, hot or cold. It doesn't burn. You don't have to water it in. 
what more are you looking for? Plus, it's about, uh, oh, at least a third less than most of those uh, nasty synthetic chemical fertilizers out there now. Get better product at lower price and uh, pretty widely available. I think you'll find most every good nursery around carries products from Medina. It's just a, a great company. You're also going to find things like their liquid fertilizers, the Hasgrow products, and I love that new liquid fish blend. They carry the soil activator and the improved form of that called Medina Plus. They package great, oh gosh, so many different things like uh, molasses, and they package uh, uh, liquid seaweed that's outstanding, the best orange oil in the country. Just know that when you see the name Medina on the bagger bottle, you're getting quality inside. Check out the full line of their products. Go to MedinaAg.com. You'll find them wherever fine gardening products are sold. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right. Back to gardening and back to the phone lines. Give me Janie and Clint and Thomas and Billy. Good morning, Janie. Good morning, Bob. Good morning to you on this beautiful Sunday. Yes, yes, it's pretty. Uh, let me ask you a question. I uh, went and work and pulled out all the weeds all against the fence where I have my flowers and all. What I want to know is, is there any kind of granule that I can put on the dirt to keep the uh, weeds from coming up? Not really. Uh, there are different things that can reduce the problem, but see the way that a pre-emergent herbicide works, it doesn't kill the weed, it doesn't kill the weed seed, but when the, it, it lets the weed seed sprout, but then it keeps it from developing a root system. So if it's dry, then many times the weeds shrivel up and die before they really get going. But the problem is in an area where you're watering your flower beds, where you're watering to keep things healthy and alive, the weeds just kind of hang on until you know the herbicide wears off and then they go ahead and develop their roots. In a really dry area, you can put out corn gluten meal and it will greatly reduce the number of weeds, but but in a flower bed or somewhere that you're watering regularly, you're just wasting your money to try. I, you know, I, I wish there was an easy answer to it. Uh, if what I use is the vinegar and orange oil spray, and I just carry a piece of cardboard, and I'll put it up against my flowers or whatever I don't want the spray to get on, and they just spray the weeds, and they shrivel and die. But I, I, I there is not, no matter what the claims of all these so-called weed and feed products are, uh, there's nothing that really works that well. I'd be misleading you to tell you there was. Well, I'm getting too old to be doing it anymore. Well, and this is what keeps you young, unfortunately, all that bending and pulling and exercising. But it does get frustrating. I will tell you that keeping a good mulch in your flower beds, uh, the weeds don't sprout nearly as much if you have an inch or two of mulch on the surface of the ground. Weeds like being down at dirt level. And uh, putting a good mulch out is going to probably stop at least 90% of them, so you'll have a lot fewer to pull. Okay, you keep talking about mulch. Okay, on the, like Walmart and them, they sell this mulch, but they're ships. What kind of mulch is yours? 
I like what they call a living mulch, which is the chips and other things, but has a little bit of compost mixed in with it. Uh, the brand that we really like is by Nature's Creation, and they just call it tree and shrub mulch, but I'm sure there's some other good ones out there. I don't like just straight bark chips, but uh, they will work, and for that matter, you can go to the city's brush dump where they'll basically just give you all that material they've ground up, and uh, it's, it's not the highest quality mulch, but it'll sure stop the weeds. Do you sell that, that that kind of mulch? They uh, well, the the city has a couple of sites where they you know when they pick up all the brush from people's curbs and things like that. No, I'm they talking just about run... your place. Do you? Oh yeah. Oh no, we did. We very definitely we sell. Golly, we sell. People come in and buy very large quantities of it. It's just it's called tree and shrub mulch, and it's by nature's creation. Nature's creation. Okay, another question. I end up buying this uh, carrot. Lick, uh, carrot, uh, what do you call it? It's a uh, liquid, I guess. Okay, okay. yeah, anyway, carrot juice. Uh, carrot juice, I uh-huh. got it. I, I forgot, what am I using it for? It's sort of a soil activator. It's a very mild fertilizer. You can use it to soak seeds in, and it'll help them germinate faster. But it works mainly to soften your soil and simply uh, keep your plants healthier, sort of like a vitamin tonic. Okay, that's what I did the first time. I put uh, two ounces of water, uh, of uh, carried to gallon of water, uh-huh. And I pour it on the plants, and then I said, "Well, what do I do next? Do I just <laughs> how often do I do that too?" Oh, you could do it every month or two. It's uh, it it it's not really like I say. It's a very mild fertilizer, and I would be using has to grow or you know one of the good products like that in addition to the garret juice. But it it just it stimulates microbial life in the soil. If your soil's real hard, it softens it. Yeah. It uh, seems to reduce problems with insects and diseases. But it it's just sort of a general think of it as sort of a vitamin tonic for your plants, and using it oh maybe once every month or six weeks. Is probably good if you have plants that are struggling you could use it a little bit more often maybe once a week or so it's also a pretty good root stimulator it's a good thing just to water your plants oh, in really? with when you're, okay, when you're planting I new plants a, uh, 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 i've got a rose bush not uh-huh. a rose bush a rose and i want to cut some so that i can start some new ones can i put that in that to start it um, you could uh, mix some of that with water and soak your cuttings in it for a few minutes. I would put, oh, maybe a quarter of a cup of Garrett juice in a, in a quarter or two of water and then soak your cuttings for about 20 minutes. I wouldn't leave them in there uh, to try to root, but if you soak them for about 20 minutes and then put them in perlite or sand or something like that, it will very uh-huh. definitely help them root faster and better. Oh, okay. That, I'll do that. Well, thank you very much, and uh, you keep laughing. You sound so good when you're laughing. <laughs> Everybody does, and uh, well, you know, it's and like I say, sitting here with two dogs and occasional cats walking through. If you've got pets around, especially, uh, it's just who needs a comedy channel? Uh, you you can find lots of entertainment out there, Janie. So you oh, get yeah. out and enjoy enjoy Sunday, and I know we'll talk again soon. And I appreciate All the right. call. Thank you very thank you. much. Thank you. Bye. All right, uh, Clint's up next. Good morning, Clint. Good morning. How you doing? Off to a good start. How about yourself today? 
Well, I'm in a little bit of trouble. I lost my list of uh, trees that do great for my area, and I was hoping if you could help me out again. Oh, okay. Are we looking for shade trees or fruit trees? Uh, fruit trees. Uh, first of all, on the plum, you said Santa Rosa? Is Santa one Rosa one is one of the self-fertile plums. It's uh, about the only plum out there that will produce, even if you don't have a second plum tree. And it's, it's a very good one. Uh, two others that I would definitely consider. One of them is called Methley, M-E-T-H-L-E-Y. Uh, there's another one called Bruce, B-R-U-C-E. Those those are probably my top three plums for the area. They're not the only ones out there, but uh, uh, those are three good ones. And if you plant more than one, you're going to get good cross-pollination. If you're just going to plant one, be sure it's Santa Rosa because that's the only only real common one that is self-fertile. That one's uh, so so, but the methylene is not self-fertile. No, methylene needs a, a pollinator, as does Ruth. Methylene is a good pollinator for a lot of other varieties of plums, by the way. Okay, good deal. Now, on the apple, uh, is Anna good for the area? You're right at the southern edge of the range, but Anna is uh, is probably going to do okay for you. Uh, Dorset Gold is going to do okay for you. The Israeli apples, which include Lodi, L-O-D-I, Gravenstein, G-R-A-V-E-N-S-T-E-I-N. Um, there's uh, uh, another one, uh, kind of a, a striped apple called Beverly Hills that's a low-chilling apple. Uh, those would all be good choices for you. Beverly Hills. I've never seen that before in the past. Yeah, it's kind of a strawberry-colored uh, apple. Then You're just not going to get any super crisp apples. Uh, we just don't have cold enough weather to you know, grow the Jonathans or the wine saps or any of those others. But uh, uh, by the way, you can also grow yellow delicious. You can't grow red delicious. It needs more cold weather. But yellow delicious is another one that would do well for you here. Good deal. Now, on the peach, uh, I think you had said Feliciana. La Feliciana is a good low-chilling peach. Uh, John Fanick uh, is a hybrid selection. One of its parents was La Feliciana. It should do well for you. You're probably going to do okay with Sam Houston. Sam Houston's a big, sweet peach, and it is one of our lower-chilling peaches. And if you're looking for a really big peach, Sam Houston would be a good one to plant. What about the Rio Grande peach? The Rio Grande is another low chiller. Uh, it's one I haven't grown. I, You know, I'm being in the hill country, most of these real low chillers, I've done well with John Fanick, by the way, but uh, the low chilling ones, once they fulfill that chilling requirement, they'll bloom out with the first stretch of warm weather. And so Rio Grande and uh, what is it, Rio Grande Gold is another one. Uh, those simply tend to bloom in the middle of the winter and consequently they freeze back and you don't get any fruit up where I live. But where you are, it probably would be just fine for you. Be okay, good deal. Now, uh, I think you said on the persimmon, those definitely need two trees? Yes. Yes, you'll do much better with two trees. And any of the Asian varieties, uh, Tamopan, uh, Taninashi, Eureka, Fuyu, any of those will do very well for you. The flavor is going to be similar on all of them. The shape of the fruit is a little different. Some of them produce fruit, what we call parthenocarpically, which means uh, you'll have a fruit without a seed on the inside of it. It's just all fruit. But uh, all the persimmons are just slow growing. That's the, that's the only objection to them. It takes them about 
three times as long to really start producing heavily as it would a fast-growing tree like a peach or a plum, but I think they're worth the wait. Okay. Do apricots do well here? The problem with apricots is they almost always bloom too early and then freeze back. They're pretty. They're kind of more like a big shrub than a tree. They bloom beautifully, but you only get fruit, you know, once every four or five years uh, with typical winters. There is one variety out there called golden amber that can bloom more than once. So that if it freezes back one time, many times it'll come out and put on some more fruit. But uh, apricots are just, they, they just tend to bloom too early. Uh, if we have a year when we don't get any late cold weather, they'll do okay as far as fruit production. But uh, most years, uh, they they just get ahead of themselves. Then we get a freeze, and we don't get much fruit. Okay. Now, on the Miho Satsuma, is that self-fertile? Yes. Yes, virtually all the Satsumas will be self-fertile. Miho, Sito, Kimbro, all those will be self-fertile. Miho, Sito, and who else? Kimbro, uh, there's another one called, uh, oh golly, there, there are half a dozen of them out there. There's one called Orange Frost. Uh, there's one called, I think it's uh, Brown Select, uh, is another good one. But but all the all the Satsumas do pretty well. The one you want to stay away from is the old oldest one out there. It's called Changsha, and it produces lots of fruit. But you'll have 30 seeds in every fruit. Most of these other varieties uh, don't have so many seeds, <laughs> and so they're a lot easier to eat. A lot easier, okay. Yeah, yeah, you know, oh, spitting seeds in, in polite company is frowned upon. <laughs> you'll be spitting right. lots of seeds if you get the old-fashioned Changsha, I'll tell you that. Okay. Now, I saw something called a mayhaw. kind of looked like maybe a cherry or something. You ever hear of that one? I, that's a new one on me. Um, I, I, I don't know that one. No, no, no clue. Okay. Now, um, where in the world can I find some Floritam uh, St. Augustine? Seems like no one ever heard of it or carries it down this way. Is that something like I got to do on a road trip? Or I, They certainly should know about it because it was developed for coastal areas. And the closer you get to the coast, the easier it should be to find. I know up here in San Antonio, uh, Dell's Grass Farm, and they're actually down toward you. You might, uh, you might call Dell's and... Uh, uh, ask them, and I'm not sure, I think their, um, their farm where they raise grass is somewhere near Pleasanton. You might even be able to get them, because they're, they're harvesting their grass and hauling it up to San Antonio, you might even be able to get them to drop off a couple of pallets to you on their way from their grass farm to the retail location up here. That'd sure save a road trip and uh, uh, make things a lot easier. Call, call Dells and ask them. If they don't have it, check with Thomas Stone and Landscape here in San Antonio. But uh, I think you're going to find Dells is going to have pretty good quality grass pretty consistently when it comes to Floritam. Oh, that Landscape off of 90, they had an amazing amount of display of um, Medina products. I was happy when I oh, was good. there and got some stuff. Well, they're they're, awesome. and they're right around the corner from Medina because Medina is actually on Highway 90 over in Hondo. So not surprising that they stay well stocked. Good deal. Okay, I know I got some more questions, but I can't remember what they are now. 
I will look forward to talking to you again, Clint. You know, you seem to have the secret down as to when to dial. So uh, I look forward to our next visit, and you have a great Sunday. Uh, Thomas and Millie, hang on. Got to get a break in here, and then I'll be talking with you. I get to talk about Sam Sitterly and Green Grow Organics, and that's always a pleasure. Just because, golly, so many people give out such bad advice on things, and, boy, you go to the box stores, you get bad advice. You go so many places, people just don't know anything about their products. Sam has had 30 years of experience with organics, doing it things the right way. He is quite the quite the specialist in compost. He knows fertilizers extremely well, specialist in soil microbial life, and that's what the secret is. You know, if your soil is healthy, your plants are are going to do so much better and sam can help you keep your soil healthy he's not the guy that's going to trim your trees or plant your shrubs for you but he does uh he does a lot of consulting work he does compost tea application some fertilizer application but his, he's mainly sort of a consultant to help you know what you need to do to have the most beautiful yard around he's been doing it for 30 years um, like i say as if we have people in nursery constantly singing his praises and talks about how much they have learned from him and how beautiful their landscapes have become. Why don't you go to his website which is Green Grow, spelled out G-R-O-W, GreenGrowOrganics.com Check things out. Look at all the beautiful pictures and all the satisfied reviews and if you think it's right for you, give him a call. Set up a consultation. Be sure you understand any charges up front. But an awful lot of people out there trust their landscapes to Sam Sitterly and Green Grow Organics. Don't be tempted by these companies come around with their little white trucks and want to spray poison and stuff on your yard that's not the way to have a beautiful yard might look good temporarily but what you're looking for is long-term durability and that's what sam's going to help you with green grow organics south texas gardening with bob webster is on the air talk to bob now 210-599-5555 all right back to gardening on a really nice sunday morning out there (laughs) it's just a pretty day and Ah, it's just going to get better and better. We're going to talk to Melissa and Robert and Kate. Melissa is up next. Good morning. Good morning, Bob. I've got about 400 square feet in the front yard that I'm trying to get some grass growing. Um, My question is, what type of sod uh, for about an hour south of San Antonio and where would I find it? Uh, Shade or sun? Um, Mostly sun mostly sun. Your choices, you have several choices. If you like St. Augustine, which has you know a lot of advantages to it, it has the longest green season, it never has chiggers in it. Uh, there is a variety called Floratam, F-L-O-R-A-T-A-M. It was developed jointly by the University of uh, Florida and Texas A&M, so they came up with a very unimaginative name of Floratam, but uh, it is by far your best St. Augustine. It was It's a coastal grass is what they developed it for because it's so resistant to chinch bugs, but it's your best choice if you want St. Augustine. The only disadvantage to St. Augustine is you do have to water it. Uh, Floratam is the most drought-resistant St. Augustine, but if you stop watering, it dies. If you're looking okay. for a different grass, a finer bladed grass, uh, many of the Bermudas are good choices. Uh, I happen to like the ones they call TIFF, T-I-F-F, because they're very low-growing, they're very compact, they're very good at choking out weeds. Uh, Like all Bermudas, they brown out with the first frost and are late greening up the next spring, but uh, they're tough. They stand up to foot traffic really well. That's what they use on golf greens and tee boxes around a lot of the area. And like all Bermudas, if you stop watering them, they just turn brown. They'll green up again when they get water, but... 
they they can't go totally dormant in the summer if you're not able to provide enough water. Uh, the final choice is zoysia. And zoysia, they're, they're broad-bladed forms, which I don't recommend because they are so disease-prone. But the narrow-bladed zoysias like emerald and el toro, they are they're a little slower-growing grass. They only need to be mowed about a third or a fourth as often. Because they're slower-growing, they don't stand up to foot traffic as well than if you've got kids or dogs or things that are heavy on their feet probably not your best bet but if you don't have a lot of uh, don't have a lot of impact on the yard zoysia is very easy to maintain and it's a beautiful grass and like Bermuda it's it's pretty drought tolerant if it browns out uh, as long as it doesn't stay dry for too long it will come back so those are your choices and uh, you just kind of have to see which one fits your lifestyle that if you do have Where would I find them? kids about what? Where would I find them? Probably, golly, uh, you might, again, you might try Dell's because I know they have a grass farm in that area. Their offices are here in San Antonio, but they're probably going to be able to supply you best. The other company that I recommend here in San Antonio, and I imagine they deliver pretty widely, but Thomas Stone and Landscape does a pretty nice job. Um, They usually have top quality grass. Those would probably be my two top choices for grass companies. Okay, sounds good. I have one more question. We have a couple of peach trees. We have a peachy cane that's been doing great. Um, I think we planted them both about four years ago. Um, Uh There's another one. I can't remember exactly what. Um, I want to say it's a king something or another. It's not wanting to do anything. Uh, it leafed up the first year we had it, and then ever since then, it just hasn't wanted to do anything. Any ideas? Um, where did you purchase them? I believe Phoenix. Okay, because Phoenix does have good quality. Those are varieties that I haven't personally grown. The the most important thing with peaches is to match them to your chilling zone. And where you are, you want to get uh, peaches that are take about 550 hours of chilling, give or take 50 hours. You can probably go online and Google and be sure that you've got the, the right uh, peaches for the chill hours that you have beyond that peaches don't ever want to get dry it's very important that you thin them out every winter and they really would like to be fed if you're using a liquid fertilizer use it once a month if you're using a dry fertilizer uh, be doing it about four times a year Uh, is the color good they just don't seem to have any vigor how would you describe their lack of performance well like i said the first year they greened up real nice ever since then they just don't want to even it hasn't even budded out my the peachy king has beautiful buds and everything and it's ready to go i think it has two or 250 chill hours the other one i want to say is under 400 so it should still be fine around here um but it hasn't even yeah the problem is with the low chills uh first time we get warm weather and we had a good deal of warm weather back in january and the buds actually started to swell you might not have even been able to see it but then we got hit with that uh severe cold and it probably froze a lot of the developing leaf buds is why they're so late coming back out that, that's the problem with low chill is that they try to start growing too quickly many years and then this year that that's we actually saw more damage this winter than we did last winter because of we had a about 10 days of really warm weather and then we had really cold weather and it was 
it, it was really hard on things. And I, the things that I will tell you to do, again, water and fertilize, every time you think of it, pick up the hose and spray up and down the trunks of those trees because they'll absorb a lot of water directly through that new soft bark, and that's going to help them come out faster. But I think you're probably looking at just a little bit of lingering damage from what we had in January. Um, as long as the bark, look carefully at them, as long as the bark isn't shriveled, the trees are okay and they'll almost certainly come out. Okay. I appreciate it. I appreciate the call. You have a good day, Melissa. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, next up is Robert. Good morning, Robert. Well, good morning. Good morning. I, the lady right before, she she asked a lot of the questions I was going to ask you. <laughs> really, well, that's, that's the amazing. good thing, because there are probably 100,000 people listening and only a few of them able to get through. So I'm always glad when you get a good question that benefits everybody. So I'm glad to hear from you. What did she not ask that you'd like me to amplify on? Well, the only the big difference between the yards is about the same size, 400 square feet in the front. Uh, I face west, but there are some trees on the one side there's the, a, a pretty good size oak and the other one's another size oak on the other side uh-huh and, and um so there is some shade as opposed to full sun so okay. uh originally i was thinking about the um either del mar or palmetto st augustine yeah but those the, are your two best choices but the fellow who was going to put it in said that you know he i called talked to him yesterday he said he couldn't get any palmetto right now it wasn't available well, now, i he, tell you i would i would wait for it um tell them to call thomas stone and landscape they almost always have it available well i know i mean i live just five miles from i live in church so okay. i'm just five miles from their place here in church you know yeah um in fact i might call them and say see if what it, anyway on if i wanted to change to zoysia and I went online and was reading about different types of, they, they call it the innovation and empire and geo and different different names for them. Um, Unless you plan to cut down those trees, <laughs> it's not going to do real well. What you would almost, and, and you could make it work, but what you'd have to plan on doing is where those trees are providing much shade, plant a ground cover, plant Asian jasmine, plant dwarf monkey grass, plant some sort of ground cover, because this oysia is really going to disappoint you in the shade. It might stay alive, but it will be thin, it will be sickly, you'll have more dirt showing than you do grass. So uh, if you wanted to put zoysia, in the middle, in between those trees, uh, it would probably do okay there. And I still think emerald and uh, el toro are probably two best varieties. But you're going to need to do something else underneath the trees, which is certainly possible. You could uh, you could put in a good shade-tolerant ground cover, but there's always just going to disappoint you in the shade regardless of what their advertisements say about it. Yeah. I, I was planning on putting a circle of mulch around the one. Now, the other tree is my neighbor's. It's not uh-huh. mine. Um, so now he put down the uh raleigh um, Uh variety um and it seems to be doing pretty good he put it down in the fall uh the fella who i talked to yesterday was going to do the job said he can get the raleigh for me 
So well, Raleigh, Raleigh is extraordinarily susceptible to brown patch fungus. It will get brown patch before any other grass gets it. And uh, it's, uh, it's a popular grass, but people spend a lot of money trying to control brown patch that have it. So I'm, I'm not going to totally condemn it if you stay strictly with organic fertilizers. Don't ever put on any of the high nitrogen synthetics. Uh, it's probably going to do fine six out of eight years. But just be aware the the problem with Raleigh is just that it is more susceptible to disease than most other varieties are. Okay. So if we go with the uh, palmetto would be... A very good choice then for palmetto is an excellent choice, and uh, I this is a super busy time of year for us, and so I'm not out and looking around and and checking suppliers on grass nearly as much. But uh, uh, talk to ask for Bill Thomas. I mean, he's he's the head of the operation, and you can ask him when they expect to get it and see if he will hold some of it for you when they do. But um, that they are the place that most people are going to find palmetto right now yeah. from what I can tell but you know there are lots of grass companies out there and uh, some of them good some of them not so good just be sure that you get fresh grass and that you get it planted immediately after you get it 400 square feet's not a not a real big job so it's it's not going to wear you out too badly 4,000 square feet yeah that might be a challenge well I won't get worn out at all because I'm paying somebody to do it <laughs> well, watch them carefully, and, uh, and and some of these guys out there that plant it, you just have to keep reminding them to put the green side up. But there are some good ones out there that get it right. And be sure they roll it after they put it out. That's very important to take out the yeah. air pockets between the grass and the sod underneath. Yeah, we went over all that, and he seemed like he almost listened to you, so it seemed pretty good. Uh, well, and I One extra thing that uh, she yeah. didn't bring up was the uh, cyclamen. Now, uh-huh. of course, the, it says that it's a annual, but I've been able to keep the same plants going for, well, this is probably the second full year. And, of course, right yeah. now, they've been blooming. The red cyclamen have been blooming <laughs> pretty profusely. Now, what I do is just sort of move them to my covered area of my back porch. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they do get heat, but they don't get the sun. Is that what sort of is helping me keep them well, you're you're a good gardener carrying cyclamen through the summer, and yes, that is a big help. You do want to watch them carefully. There's a nasty little bug called the cyclamen mite that they sometimes get, and you can head it off uh, just like we do red spider mites, uh, regular spraying with liquid seaweed. But if you start seeing that they're very, very tiny, it takes a magnifying glass to see them. But if your leaves ever get to the point that they seem to be looking kind of bleached out, like they just aren't as green as they once were, Get a magnifying glass and look. You probably have cyclamen mites. You'll need to spray with spinosad, spinosad soap if they do show up. But like I say, you go a long way to preventing them by spraying occasionally with liquid seaweed. But you're a good gardener. I'm not going to try to tell you how to grow them. You're doing better than 90% of the people out there. So whatever you're doing, just keep it up. But do keep an eye out for mite problems. Yeah, I did notice today there's like a, a little ball, um, like a marble-sized ball growing as opposed to a uh, bud uh-huh that's a seed on the pod. plant yeah that's, that's a what? seed pod that's a seed, seed pod. pod yeah yeah and 
it would be possible to grow them from seed, but they take a couple of years to get up to blooming size. They make a flat, oh, actually like a corm, that's what the plants ultimately grow from. So it's a long process to grow them from seed. But, hey, if you get them going through the summer, you might just be able to do it. That 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 little marble will eventually burst open. won't have a lot of seeds, and they're, they're a big enough seed that you can handle them. But if you decide to plant them and grow them, be prepared for probably about a three-year wait before they have flowers. Oh, well, I won't do that, but I'll, at least I, I know <laughs> that uh, I can look for these things to produce a seed. <laughs> well, and I tell you, most people per- pinch the seed pods off because the plants are putting a lot of energy into making that seed, uh, and most folks would rather they put that energy into making more blooms and leaves. So me too. Uh, it's interesting now that you've seen it, <laughs> pinch them off in the future and you'll do even better. Okay. Well, thanks a lot, Bob. My pleasure always, Robert. Thank you for the call this morning. (laughs) Goodbye. All right, uh, in just a minute, Kate will be up. We need to take a quick break here while I talk about Southwest Metal Roofing Systems. And what a pleasure that is. Just the fewer things you have to worry about in life, the more fun it is. The more time you have to garden, uh, less things to keep you awake at night. And believe me, there are plenty of people out there that stress out big time about their roofs, what the weather's going to do. You listen to the ads. They'll tell you, oh, the cold hurts your roof, the heat hurts your roof, the hail hurts your roof, the sun hurts your roof. And it's just old, you know, if you get a Southwest Metal Roofing Systems roof, you don't worry about any of those things. Southwest Metal Systems roofs are made with a metal which is lifetime quality. It truly will be the last roof you ever put on your home. Uh, their workmanship is just unsurpassed. Uh, our, our roof here at Shades of Green, it, we got baseball-sized hail, and you can barely find a dimple in the whole roof, nothing at all that required any work. I've had their roof on my home up in the hill country through high wind, through just about everything Mother nature could throw at it never call them once with a problem it's just a great company and the roofs are energy efficient they will save you money on your utility bills your insurance company knows how great they are so they're probably going to give you a discount on your homeowner's insurance i got two percent off on mine there's so many reasons to choose southwest metal roofing systems you have your choice of colors if you don't want bright standing seam metal you even have your choice of styles they have the roofs that look like ceramic tile but without all the weight or shake shingles just a lot of choice is from one great company. Give them a call, and by the way, if you're up in the hill country, be thankful you have a metal roof. If you have a Southwest Metal Roofing Systems roof on your home, just keep your gutters clean, and you'll be a whole lot better off as uh, if there are any wildfires in the neighborhood. Anyway, learn more. Give them a call, 210-822-6868. That's 210-822-6868 for Southwest Metal Roofing Systems. All right, back to gardening. It's going to be Katie and Chicken Joe and Diane and Anne. Katie is up first. Good morning. Hi, good morning. Good morning. I actually have two questions. One is about okay. soil, and the second one is about blackberry vines. Very good. So on the soil, we have a uh, burn pile that we use to burn tra- uh, wood and leaves and Tomatoes and, you know, everything that you put into a burn pile. Sure. And over the years, it's got some nice ash and some soil. And I was wondering if I could use that mixture as a good soil in my pot in my garden. Probably not. 
uh, ash tends to be extremely alkaline. And if you, and I mean, and of course, ash has a lot of good minerals in it, but you want to use it very lightly. I mean, one bucket of ash would be enough for a thousand square feet of garden, where you've actually got the ash in a more concentrated form with the soil right there in that spot. I'm really afraid that it's going to be too alkaline to do much for you. But uh, if you really, if you blend it with a bunch of other soil, then uh, there's going to be nothing wrong with it. But the ash is awfully concentrated in potassium concentrated in alkalinity and most things will not do well potted in that okay good to know <laughs> thank you um on the blackberry vines um uh-huh. they're a year old and i have not pruned them at all and they're fixing to come back up and okay. i just didn't know what to prune and how to prune Okay, well, that's a that's a great question. Blackberries grow for one year, and then those canes that grew last year, those are the ones that are going to have your berries. But before those canes start to bloom, you're going to see lots of new canes coming up, which are the canes that are going to make next year's berries. So what you want to do is after the plant is through producing its berry crop, you go in and cut out all those old canes. They don't produce well again, and if you leave them in there, they'll eventually they just start dying out. And uh, some people, they say they cause disease problems. I've never had that issue but just watch carefully and it's not too hard to distinguish between your new growth that's coming out now that's going to be next year's berry producers and uh, the the part that you're picking the berries off so it's just a selective uh, matter and of course uh, most of the berries that do well here (laughs) come well armed with plenty of thorns so be sure you're wearing good gloves but once a cane has finished producing its berries you might as well go ahead and cut it out because that's all it's going to do does that make sense? So it does, but for some reason, and I think these are thornless. Does that make sense? Most of the thornless ones don't do well here. The, the principle okay. would be the same, but if you're disappointed in the results, uh, it's not because you've done anything wrong. It's because most of the thornless ones take colder winters than we typically have. And considering it's been a long, cold winter, this might be a good year for them, but year after year, uh, they generally just don't produce as well in our area. Okay. And then I've also had some of those canes, like the They've, they got so long last summer, they drooped down off the mm-hmm. trellis, and then they rooted again like <laughs> where, it, where it dipped down into the ground. Do I need sure. to worry about that? No, you really don't. And if these turn out to be good varieties that produce well, you can you know either expand your blackberry patch or share the little plants with your friends. That's how they propagate, and blackberries are not grown from seed they're grown from uh, little plants they produce an underground runner as well and that will then shoot up more canes at that spot and that that's how they're propagated that's how you get more plants but before you start spreading them around to your friends let's grow them for a year or two and be sure they're going to produce well for you for sure okay great well thanks for your help i appreciate it always a pleasure katie i appreciate the call this morning thank you (laughs) goodbye all right, what's Chicken Joe up to this morning? Good morning, Joe. Oh, uh, Chris says your phone line dropped. If you get back through, we'll move you to the front of the list. That would put Diane next in line. Good morning, Diane. Good morning. How are you today? Uh, it's just another beautiful day in a beautiful place, so no complaints for me. Well, that's good. Um, I mean, I might I'm rather be identif- fishing, but that wasn't an option. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay. Um, I'm trying to identify a very old rose bush that my grandfather had. Okay. Um, it's it was so pale yellow; it was almost white, and it had little tinges of pink around it. It had very few thorns, and it smelled so strong—a beautiful rose fragrance. Is can you tell me how I can start? Big flower or small flower? They were big. Okay. It sounds like uh, a peace rose, which is a rose that was developed right at the end of World War II. But uh, rose cuttings are pretty easy to grow. You want to be sure you're getting mature wood. You don't want that real soft cane that comes out in the spring. You want the summer wood or in the fall. But simply take cuttings from the tips of the branches. You're going to soak them in a mixture of liquid seaweed and water for 30 minutes to an hour. And then perlite is still the medium of choice for most home gardeners rooting things. Roses, you're probably going to get about 7 out of 10 cuttings to root. So take plenty of of cuttings. Uh, the, the professionals actually they use little cubes of something called oasis, which is what the florists use to, mm-hmm. you know, stick stick cut flowers down in. And uh, you could root them in in little cubes of oasis if you have uh, uh, access to that. But most growers do fine in perlite. But uh, the secret is, you know, small cuttings, pinch off any buds or flowers, soak them for maybe 30 minutes, put them in the perlite, and don't ever let them dry out. Keep them in a bright spot, but no direct sun. And, and probably, like I say, six or seven out of ten cuttings will take root. And then you'll have some good on root roses to plant elsewhere and share. Okay. And now those will do okay in Pipe Creek if I can keep the deer away from them? And that's the challenge. Uh, it, and right. of course, Pipe Creek. If you're in an area where you have decent soil, if you're, I always ask people, "Do you have a good view from your house?" And if they say yes, I say, well, "You don't have any soil then. <laughs> no. you'll, yeah. you'll you'll have to grow them in a raised bed, or you'll have to provide them, uh, you know, with more soil, deeper soil, one way or another." But they, yeah, they do they do just fine. But deer are uh, deer just absolutely think roses are just candy, and that's the first thing mm-hmm. they will eat when they get hungry. So you will have to keep the deer away from them and you will have to be sure that they don't ever get bone dry but you should do just fine with them in pipe creek okay and he also had an oxalis plant that had real um a deep pink flower and all the oxaluses that i find are yellow i haven't is there a well, and those are little weedy ones. Uh, the the one that you're talking about is technically is Oxalis crassipes, C-R-A-S-S-I-P-E-S, if you want to look it up. Uh, they're hard to find. They are a great plant, and mm-hmm. they tend to come back year after year and make more and more little bulbs. But um, yeah. I don't really know a common name other than just garden oxalis uh, it, it's a it's a big genus of plants it includes uh, white shamrocks it includes uh, a lot of different ones but uh, uh, if you're looking at any of the perennial catalogs or any of the seed catalogs look for oxalis crassipes and that's the one you're looking for and it's a wonderful plant okay thank you so much you're certainly welcome appreciate the call have a good day have up good in day. pipe creek thanks diane All right, I guess I probably better get a break in here, and we'll be up next. uh... South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. It's going to be Ann and Brian and Bob and Sherry, and Ann is up first. Good morning, Ann. Good morning, Bob. 
Good morning. I have a follow. I have a follow up question to the guy who was who had a problem with his um, sunny spot. You guys okay. put a ground cover. Uh huh. Well, we've got pretty much the same situation, except that we have a dreadful problem with deer. We'll uh-huh. have seventeen, twenty of them bedding down, pretty much in that spot from time to time. Right. If we put in the ground cover, I think that they'll probably eat that too. So we well, have to put up a fence or yeah. What? It's the deer, uh, and again, it's it's just ridiculous where we have so many deer that they're bedding down in people's yards, and they just crush and wear out anything that they lie on, and they they are certainly an issue. And if you want to have yeah, if you want to have pretty things in the yard for pretty much, you have to screen them out. Uh, there's, there, there's just not much that's really, really tough that's going to grow in the shade. And uh, you could, uh, I, 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 there are things that they are less likely to eat, but it's just if they're if they're bedding down in the area, that's kind of like having a big dog and expect that he's not going to run through the flower beds and cause some problems. So deer can be a real issue. Uh, Asiatic jettisman is still one of the best choices. There is a, another ground cover called Vinca, which I don't recommend as highly. It gets a little caterpillar that can devour the leaves pretty badly. The, the deer do seem to leave that one alone a little bit better, but it doesn't take well to having 90-pound uh, animals lying all over it. Well, I think I, missed, I misspoke or whatever, because that spot that we've got is sunny. Everything around oh, it sunny. is okay. shady, and our St. Augustine is great. But yeah. you can almost mark. It, it's, it's dramatic, the difference. So we need. Well, I'd like a ground cover there that will that will stand up to the sun okay. and the deer. So, well, again, the Asiatic jasmine grows in sun or in shade. It's equally right. good both places. Other possibilities. I'll tell you one of the ground covers that I really love. The only advantage is, is it goes away in the winter. But there is a little plant, and I don't like the name. They call it dwarf plumbago, but it is not a plumbago. It's a whole different group of plants mm. properly. It's called Serratostigma plumbagioides, which means looks like plumbago. But it is sun tolerant. It is drought tolerant. It blooms with a deep, deep blue flower. In the fall, it gets a burgundy colored foliage, but then it dies back to the ground and then comes back gangbusters the next spring. So not an evergreen ground cover, but it's something that will be deer tolerant and give you more color than most other ground covers, and it does not mind the sun at all. It will grow in sun or in shade. So dwarf lumbago is certainly one that I would take a look at. I it's could live all... with that dying back in the winter. Yeah. Everything's kind of ugly in the winter anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, some things just pretty much look the same, like some of the ivies and jasmines and things like that. But uh, that would certainly, you know, be a good possibility. Uh, it wouldn't stand up to the deer well, but there are two or three different uh, what we call sedums, S-E-D-U-M. They're a little low-growing succulent plant that kind of a desert-looking plant, but they love the sun and they, you know, do very, very well and tolerate going without water for a while too. So. Uh, uh, there's one called
called dragon's blood, this real burgundy red color. And then there's some of the green varieties that bloom with yellow flowers. So uh, those would also be possibilities. In California, they use a little plant called an ice plant, but they just don't seem to hold up long term here. Uh, if you look them up, they're properly called mesembryanthium. But uh, they're they're very popular because they're resistant to wildflower, and that makes them, you know, very useful in some of the some of the hills in California where wildfires are so mm. common. But I've just never seen them hold up well for more than three or four years here. But I think you'd love the dwarf plumbago. I I planted it several years ago. It's well established. It's in full bloom right now, and I probably water it about four times a year on average, and it does just fine. All right. Would putting up a fence temporarily around that area help? It certainly would. I and mean, how high would you have to put it up? Would you have to put up a deer fence, or could you put up a, like a normal fence? It's yeah. about a three hundred square foot circle. Yeah, deer like to be able to see where they're going to land, and so you can get by with a relatively low fence if the different you know edges of it are fairly close together. If the deer can see where it can jump in, land easily, and jump back out again, then it's going to have to be seven feet tall to stop them. But in a small area like that, you could even kind of do a lower fence around the edge, and then just stretch a couple extra wires back and forth across where the deer can't jump in, and you'll stop them pretty effectively. Parks and Wildlife yeah. has come up with uh, what they call a three-wire system where uh, the three wires are offset. They kind of weird kind of post you have to use to do that. But uh, the, the idea is you don't want the deer to be able to push through it. But the main thing stopping them, if your fences are close together, the deer are not going to try to jump them because they, they want to have a good landing spot, so to speak. Hmm. I like that idea. It's called a three-what? They call it a three-wire system. You can probably find it online. Go to tpwd.com or .org, I believe. There is one other possibility that doesn't work well if the, well, if the temperature is below freezing. But there's a device that you may be able to find at some of the hardware stores. You can probably find it online. But it's called a scarecrow. And what it is is not the old-fashioned thing we think of in the cornfield. But it's a little... It's it's like a lawn sprinkler, like an impact sprinkler that can spray 15 or 20 feet, but it has a motion sensor on it. You put it on the end of the hose, you turn the hose on, and it just sits there until something walks by in front of it, like the deer or like the postman, and it whips around and gives a big burst of water right in the face. And like I say, unless the temperature is below freezing, these things are pretty good at keeping the deer, the neighborhood cats. And <laughs> I talked to a lady just the other day that said my husband wouldn't let me put one of those in because he kept walking into it when he didn't expect it and getting that <laughs> blast of water in the face. But that's something else you might look for if that's a possibility you in your area. It's, uh, they, and it's just called a deer scarecrow or a scarecrow. And it's uh, it's like just a little impact sprinkler, but it just puts out an instant pulse of water and then stops. So it's not going to waste a lot of water, but uh, it will certainly surprise somebody walking across the yard that doesn't know it's there. Where do you get those? We used to sell them, and then for whatever reason, I think the company went to strictly selling them online. You might you might call your favorite hardware store; they may have a have a way to get them, or you might just go online and see what they offer. It probably costs about 35 or $40. Yeah. 
That sounds like both of those sound like a good thing to try. <laughs> I like the water better than the wire. I think it sounds like a little less trouble. You will check with your family and be sure. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you put up a sign because it's the things are amazingly effective, and I've walked in front of one, forgetting that it was there before. And let's just say it will get your attention. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you very much, Bob. That's very helpful. Wish well, us luck. It's my, it's my pleasure. My pleasure. Okay. All thank right. Uh, let me check my time. Uh, Brian, hang on just a second. Let's get a break here. Chris. Uh, no lives, just run the recorded, and we'll get back and talk to Brian and Bob and Sherry. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. Right. Back, to, back to gardening on an absolutely beautiful day. Uh, Brian, Bob, Sherry, and Judy in that order. Brian is first. Good morning, Brian. Hey, beautiful morning. Good morning, Bob. Good morning um, to you, sir. I, got, I get a refund on my question because I had to wait for the, <laughs> the, uh, the breaks. I appreciate it. I, I'm surprised Chris doesn't have the cash register sound going this morning. <laughs> he, he's in rare form today. <laughs> oh, he is. Uh, love love uh, people with uh, sense of humor. It just makes life so much easier. There it is. Um, yeah. But anyway, Bob, so uh, this morning, the, the yard rat trick um, with that sprinkler system, I wonder uh, how long it's a drought we need before the deer start, you know, thinking that that's their free water for the week. So we shall see how long that thing lasts. Well, isn't that the truth? And uh, the, the problem is not so much with deer, but you'll have the blasted rats and squirrels and everything else start chewing into drip lines. And that gets to be a problem in a dry summer. And uh, Absolutely. so, yeah, it's it's one more one more little varmint you got to keep under control than one of the many problems that we have when we get into severe drought. But that's how I describe South Texas as one long drought interrupted by occasional floods. That's exactly right. Well, Bob, my question this morning, I got uh, really two for you. First one, um, I'm a month late in, in planting seedlings for tomatoes. I uh-huh. planted them back uh, March 1st, got them up. But uh, the last week or so, um, one of my, my daughter's cats knocked them on the ground. Um, so I, I left them there uh, while I was at work, came back, um, got them replanted. Um, uh-huh. They were kind of came back from their shock fine, but now they're having white leaves. So I'm guessing I might have picked up a fungus of some sort. What would your recommendation be to uh, keep those from even you know, having any more curling leaves or any more white uh, white in the leaves themselves? Curly leaves is something entirely different, but you can stop just about any kind of fungal issues by just soak some whole ground cornmeal in water and water them in with that and pour over the foliage as well. And, you know, any kind of fungus, uh, that will take care of it. it. It could also be sunburn. If these things were went from being in a shadier spot to suddenly sunny, uh, it just bleaches all the color out of them. And, but they, They're they under come grow back out. They what? They're under uh, full-spectrum grow lights. Does oh, that okay. make a difference? Not really, but uh, it's when, when you're under a grow light, you're getting primarily the, the blue end of the spectrum, which is what promotes growth. Now, are they going to stay under there, or are they going to then go out into the garden? Only until I can get a, a garden spot, then they're going out in the garden. Okay, because they haven't been exposed to the red and yellow, the real heat-producing rays. So 
when you move them to the garden, you're probably going to do it uh, in a two-step process. You want to put them out where they get some morning sun and then a little bit more sun and then ultimately out into the full hot sun. That's kind of like you, you know, staying indoors uh, for a month or two and then suddenly going out on the beach all day. Uh, you're going to roast and so are the tomatoes. So that's the one thing you're going to have to watch. But um, uh, I suspect that they're going to come out. They're going to, you know, they're going to do just fine. You do know that the grow lights need to be very close to the plants, down within a few inches. Uh, are they uh, are they the LED type or are they fluorescents? They are LEDs. Okay. Well, they produce almost no heat, so you can get the bulb pretty close to the plant without doing any damage. But uh, it's almost impossible to give them too much light. And to keep the plants compact, that's going to be an important thing to do. But uh, um, okay. And if you want to start more, it's certainly not too late to start more cherry tomatoes because they continue to produce almost constantly it's getting pretty late to be starting big fruited tomatoes from seed because you know the nights will get too hot just about the time they get up to a productive size but if you say gee i just really need some more tomatoes in the garden plant some more you know of the uh the many different things the uh black cherry the sweet 100s the little grape tomatoes the sun gold still plenty of time to start them from seed and have them produce well Last year, the uh, popular one was the uh, yellow pear. Uh, Friends say that was the best one I've had in a long time, so I'll I'll do that. Well, my next question for you is about uh, two magnolia trees my father-in-law had called you about previously. I believe they're grandifloras, but uh, it seems that the the yard rats are uh, knocking down fences. Uh, Now that the antlers are shed, um, I'm not picking them up off the ground um, anymore, but now just just tearing up foliage. um, Sure. Anything I can put on the leaf, minus the hot pepper uh, sauces to keep them away and to get these. Yeah, hot pepper is going to be the best thing. What I do, and, you know, it doesn't keep them from doing some damage, but the the real problem is the deer can kill a tree rubbing the bark off all the way around, which they will do periodically. To stop that, I just take, depending on the size of the tree, three or four or five T-posts and just lean them up at the trunk and wrap a wire around the bottom, a wire around the top, and that's not going to keep them from breaking limbs and leaves, but it will keep them from doing permanent damage to the tree. Beyond that, yeah, hard to beat uh, hot pepper. Even a mixture of hot pepper and garlic will generally keep the deer away from them. Okay. Then last question, your favorite uh, clumping bamboo for a pool screen um, against neighbors? Uh, Golden Goddess is one very good one. If you want one that has a little more interesting stem to it, kind of a variegated stem, there's one called Alphonse car c-a-r-r uh those are probably my two favorites the golden goddess is going to be the easier one to find but uh if you can find alphonse car it's uh, it's a real interesting it's kind of a yellow and green striped cane then with the nice big leaves and both of them are definite clumpers they're not going to run all over the place and how would you plant those five, you know, to make a screen are those you know three inches on center or those five feet on center how, oh how i'd put three feet on center okay that's where I need to go. Bob, a great show yesterday today, except you're getting popular. Um, and you, we need to get you on the air earlier so I can call you early on, on Saturday morning. Well, I don't plan to go on any earlier than 530, but that's that's the time that is probably easiest to get through if you, can, if you can drag yourself out of bed to do it. See, lucky you, you can lie there in bed and do this same thing, whereas this is me on the road at 4 a.m. listening to the outdoor show driving in and 
I can't say that there's some mornings that I just roll over and say exactly why am I doing this, but then I think about it and enjoy coming in anyway. But uh, you've got the you've got the better end of the deal on Saturday mornings, at least I'll tell you that. <laughs> well, I know you're not a coffee drinker, so I might have to send uh, some some fresh tea your way to see if we can't change your mind. But until then, Bob, have a great day. We'll listen to you the show. The same. I've got I've got my uh, my. Uh, Japanese green tea right here in a mug next to me. So, Brian, you do the same, and we will talk again. And uh, let's see. Yeah, we've got time to talk to Bob and maybe Sherry, a man with a good name. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Bob. I got a good morning, quick sir. Question for you. Okay. Uh, what is it that you were saying to put down below the tomato plants whenever you plant your tomato plants? It's called powdered rock phosphate. It uh, will double the pounds of tomatoes you will get. You can't blend it into the soil because then it becomes tied up to the plant at the point that the plants can't absorb it. So you just put a layer of it in the bottom of the hole and plant your tomato plant on top of it and let it grow its roots down through it. But it's just powdered rock phosphate. Most common brand is by the Carl Pool Company. comes in a little tub. Okay. Can I get that like at uh, Home Depot or something? I know you can get it at a good nursery. I don't know whether you find it at Home Depot or not. I I buy lumber and plumbing parts from Home Depot and plants from nurseries. Well, I understand, but a nursery is it's hard to find around here. I'm actually going to be in Bastrop. If you know a good one right off the bat, I'm going to be in Bastrop a little bit later on this morning. But uh, um, You're pretty close to, uh, what's a big farm and ranch store over there? Um, uh, and golly, it doesn't come to mind if you, uh, I, I don't know. I'd probably go to Howard Garrett's website, which is dirtdoctor.com. He's got a pretty good list of nurseries around the state on there. And, uh, uh the only nursery there used to be a real big poinsettia grower over in Bastrop. They did a wonderful job and then they got burned out in the big fire a few years ago. But, uh, um, hardware store, feed store, nursery, any of those folks could have it. A feed store might be the best place, and I know they have uh, several feed stores over in that area. Okay, dokie. My next question is, should I put that also, like, below? I got, I'm going to plant a couple of, I got a Myers lemon and a, and a Satsuma orange tree and stuff. What should I put down there? I've got I, the Medina as it is. Yeah, I'd probably use the Medina. The rock phosphate will help anything, but the results are really dramatic with tomatoes. They're not going to be that dramatic with uh, with your citrus. So I'd probably just put some of the Medina granular down in the hole. Okay. And what I'm looking for, I, I bought some firebush, or actually some miniatures because they didn't have the, the big ones. Uh-huh. What else can I get for the hummingbirds? Oh, golly, there are many, many different salvias that have tubular flowers, some for sun, some for shade, salvia gregii, salvia leucantha, uh, the salvia, um, golly, there's one called blepharophylla, the eyelash sage will grow in the shade, the uh, tropical salvia, salvia coccinea. Uh, hummingbirds love all of those. There are several different kufias, what they call cigar plants, and uh, those are very popular with the hummingbirds. Hummingbirds seem to be also attractive to uh, attracted to uh, zinnias. They also seem to be attracted to petunias. Uh, anything that has a tubular flower. My yard up in the country, I have some uh, the old-fashioned abelia in there, and the hummingbirds really go to those. So uh, just anything that's brightly colored or has a tubular flower, the hummingbirds will love you for it. If you plant uh, some of the tropical things like the uh, 
Oh, the, the different Esperanzas, they love hibiscus. Most all of those are also very attractive to them. Okay. And my last question, I had problems with the mockingbirds on my tomatoes, and I put uh-huh. some net wiring around it last year. Yeah. But that didn't seem to help, you know, all the way. Well, if I tie, like, some uh, pie pans, some empty pie pans, aluminum tie that'll, pans. That'll scare them for a while, and if you go to a gag store and get an old rubber snake and put up there, that'll scare them, too. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. But don't dial right the second because every line's taken. But we're going to talk to Sherry and Judy and Chicken Joe and Greg. And one by one, we'll have those uh, lines opening up. Let's get back to those phone calls. Good morning, Sherry. Hi, good morning. I have good a couple morning. of questions. That's what I'm here for. Is, good. <laughs> um, <laughs> my first one is I have a St. Augustine lawn. Okay. And am I? I've already seen a couple of uh, grub worms. Mm-hmm. Is it okay to go ahead and start putting down things to kill the grub worms? I recommend beneficial nematodes, and absolutely. Now, the big grubs. If you're seeing big grubs, you don't have to worry about those because they're through feeding. They're not going to do any further damage. But what the big grubs are going to do is turn into June bugs. The June bugs fly around and lay the eggs, and then the little bitty grub worms, the ones we call the first and second larval instars, they're the ones that can just devastate your grass. And this is about as early as I've ever seen big numbers of June bugs showing up. So I think uh, an application of beneficial nematodes would be a real good idea. Okay, good. I'm glad to, to know that. I have one more question. I have a ton of cedar elms uh-huh. and um, I think wild persimmon trees, I think. Okay. And they put out, as you know, little bitty leaves. <laughs> and those right. little leaves, oh my Lord, do they ever accumulate? Do yeah. I need to rake those out to get my St. Augustine to grow? No, I, I wouldn't worry about that. They, As old Malcolm Beck used to teach us, uh, the trees are taking up many minerals and many things from very deep in the soil, putting them into the leaves, and then putting them back on the surface of the ground. So you're actually getting all sorts of good things or your your grass is getting all sorts of good things from those leaves i recommend that you run through them with your lawnmower just to chop them up even smaller and if you want to help them break down more quickly you can spray that area down with a little liquid molasses you can spray it with uh, medina soil activator you can spray with liquid seaweed you can use all of the above but no those those leaves are very valuable to your grass actually and you don't want them so thick that the grass isn't getting any sun light but uh okay, see, that's I saw, what my issue is that's yeah. my issue well so, i what i do and i've got two good sized cedar elms in the front yard the small yard right around my home and uh, i just mow through them and uh, the grass comes right through without any problem at all okay so mowing is probably the best it's it's about the best and then spray with some liquid seaweed if you ever just have mountains of them uh rake them up put them in the flower bed as a mulch in the flower bed but uh rarely with a small leaf like cedar elms i rarely ever see them deep enough to what i would really call it a problem more than the lawnmower will take care of okay very good i will mow and liquid seaweed yeah okay Thank you very much, sir. Have a great day. You do the same, Sherry. Thanks for the call this morning. <laughs> Goodbye. All right, Judy is up next. Good morning, Judy. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Um, 
the lady that was um, talking about the deer eating or Asiatic jasmine is still listening. Because, uh-huh. you know, I planted uh, the Asiatic jasmine like 10 years ago and couldn't figure out why it was growing when I was fertilizing and watering. Uh-huh. And the deer liked to sleep in my front yard. And finally I got some little um, ring stick-up cameras, and I discovered that they were munching away on my Asiatic jasmine. So I bought... Two of those, the yard defenders, the motion sensing ones. Okay, uh huh. I could I couldn't find them here in San Antonio. I had to order them off Amazon. Uh huh. And they're Orbit. If that t- helps her any. Okay. And it really, it got the deer, it got the fox, it got the <laughs> the raccoons. I haven't, I, I haven't put it out again yet. Um, because I had to take it in because of the freezes and everything. Sure, sure. And it's called the Yard Defender? Yard is Defender. Uh-huh. Okay. And I think it was like maybe $59. That's probably probably about right. Well, I really appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I would prefer to, to buy in, in town, but sure. I looked everywhere, and they didn't have one, so... Um, I got it off Amazon. Well, uh, Amazon's an amazing organization. Yeah. It's, it's, it seems like they almost deliver before you hang up the phone, but uh, I'm <laughs> sure that's a, <laughs> and it's truly amazing. It's one of those I've I've done well in my life buying some stock early on and uh, things oh, no, like Apple really? and Microsoft. But man, I wish I bought Amazon a few oh, years yeah. ago. It. Uh, it, it I would be working because I uh, wanted to and not because I had to at that point. But uh, Amazon's an amazing company. It's, uh, I hear there's uh, stocks about to split 20 to 1, so I may yet go back and get a little bit of it. But, no, it's it, it's a great service, and sometimes you just have to resort to that. If we can find a good wholesale source, we would carry them again, but we, of course, can't can't buy them at retail and then resell them. So I'm glad you found them, and I really do appreciate you taking the time yeah. to share. I have one other question. Okay. Your phone's really I, breaking up, Judy. Say it once again. Oh, it's my stupid phone. I've, yeah. Is that better? That's much better. Okay. I um, um, I lost my xylosma in the freeze, and uh-huh. I was trying trying to cover up my neighbor's stuff. And I heard you talking about bamboo mm-hmm. just now. Right. Does Does that grow tall and fast? It grows pretty quickly. Uh, the clumping bamboos are the only ones I recommend. I don't like what they call the running bamboos. People move to get away from that stuff. Right. No, uh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> you know about that. that. But yeah. the, the clumping types grow to about 10 feet. And for some people, that's not tall enough. For most people, that's real good. And the two best varieties, as you probably heard me tell someone, one of them is called Golden Goddess, which is a solid green, both the stems and the leaves. And then there's one that has real pretty kind of striped uh, uh, canes. It's called Alphonse Carr. But those are probably the two most common of the clumping types. And I recommend them highly. If 10 feet's tall enough for you, they're a great choice. They're basically a big grass, and they suffered a bit of damage in the freeze but they came right back out now the tropical ones there's one called giant timber bamboo that grows about 30 feet tall but a lot of those froze and died and that's probably a lot more than you really need i'd love to have 30 feet yeah it would it would really it would really <laughs> cover up what i'm trying to cover up yeah so, let me ask you something else um another friend who is kind of in i don't know i guess he 
sells plants. He he recommended a variegated privet Japanese ligustrum, regular wax myrtle would be quick hedges. Well, if you're looking for short life but fast growth, um, those are possibilities. Variegated privet is pretty, but uh, it has to have full sun. And uh, it's not going to get more than about eight feet tall. Uh, Japanese ligustrum is one of the fastest growing evergreen shrubs you will ever find. The native plant people don't like it, and I don't ever recommend it in rural areas because it can be invasive, it can be a problem. But for something, and I, I just, I don't see that as being a problem in an urban area. So Japanese ligustrum, if you're looking for something that gets big quickly, and it'll grow to 30 feet tall, the problem with it is it will grow up and the the bottom 10 feet of it will get bare and it'll be real pretty above that point. And so, and even trying to cut it back, it just doesn't fill out well once it gets real tall. So you kind of lose that screening effect and you end up planting a second tier of plants in front of it from Nandina to Pittosporum to Mm -hmm. Viburnums to some different things. But um, again, I never recommend it out in the country because it can be an invasive uh, pest. But in, you you know, what do you mean? It, it just throws seeds and comes up everywhere. It chokes out a lot of our native oh. vegetation, and it's just uh, people spend a lot of money trying to get it out of uh, urban or out of rural land. But in an urban area, I, it, you know, you, you'll have little seedlings sprout up around, but uh, I, I've recommended it at times where I, I knew it wasn't going to be in an area that it would get out of hand. But is it is fast growth, but realize, you know, 10 years from now when it's 30 feet tall, it's going to be pretty bare on the base. I could go for 30 feet. I've got, I've got a six-foot fence. I need uh-huh. to go above that. Well, to, to the other option... Yeah, the other option, if you could stretch a couple of wires across higher up, uh, you can plant something like uh, star jasmine, confederate jasmine, and it will grow two feet taller than whatever it's growing on. We've got a six-foot fence along the area in front of our parking lot, and the confederate jasmine's about eight feet tall growing up it. If you had a way to extend something for the jasmine Mm -hmm. to cling to or wind around up above the fence, I mean, it'll grow from ground level to 10 feet tall in one season. Plus, you get the benefit of beautiful, fragrant flowers that will be coming out in the next couple of weeks. But, yeah, it just has to have something to support it. But does it freeze back? It did last year. Ours came right back out. We didn't replant a single plant, and it's absolutely beautiful out there. But that's the first time it's frozen in 30 years. So you're in South Texas. You pays your money and takes your chances, as they say. I know. Okay. All right. Well, listen, thank you very much. Appreciate it's the It's a pleasure info. talking to you, and thank All you right. for sharing the uh, the Yard Defender. Yeah, I'm glad to hear about that. It's funny to watch on, if you have, like, a little video camera, you can, <laughs> you know, because like, it doesn't hurt the animals, you know. It, and you can be a, set it also so that it just runs at night. So that would uh-huh. help the woman and her husband, you know, walk in. I don't let it run during the day. I, I had it on okay. the night setting. Well, so. on, on April Fool's Day, it'd be kind of fun to put it out by the sidewalk, but most of the <laughs> other time, <laughs> I, I think you're wise to keep it back off the street. But again, yeah. thanks for sharing with us. We okay. all appreciate it. All right. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Okay, let's see here. I guess, Chris, let's get a break done here, and then we'll talk to Chicken Joe and Greg and move down the list. 
South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening and back to the phone lines. I believe Chicken Joe's next in line. Glad you got your line back, Joe. Good morning. Good morning, Bob. Hey, Good morning, sir. Simple, simple question from a simple mind. Um, <laughs> well, then you get an answer from a simple <laughs> mind, too. Okay, best kind. Um, okay, I'm starting some seedlings in 72 cell trays. Uh-huh. And once they once they get their true leaves, I want to feed them a little bit with Medina fish blend. Sure. Uh, what would you recommend I dilute that to? Half about an ounce. Strength? Yeah, about an ounce per gallon. Okay, so that'd be half strength. Okay. All right. And uh, yeah. and you don't have to wait for them to get their true leaves. You could put some of that oh. in a, a little mister and use it as a foliar spray when you just got your cotyledon showing. Okay, and can I just go ahead and mix up a gallon and keep that? I anything that has hydrolyzed fish in it, which is uh, oh. you know much better than some of these heat processes, but it doesn't store well once it's been diluted. If you want to try it, be oh. sure you use either distilled or deionized water. But I still sure. think you're better to you know to to mix it as you need it. Okay, okay, and uh, have you heard anything about? How the bicolor lilies are doing this year. I got one blossom, and that appears to be it for this year. I know last year they didn't bloom, but that's understandable. I wouldn't have bloomed either after that freeze. <laughs> I think, what's, what's yeah, I year? think some things are going to be late. Uh, I know Roberta has a big pot of amaryllis on her front porch that is almost always in bloom in uh, December. Right now it has, I think we counted, eight spikes of flowers coming out, but it's it's almost four months late in blooming. Wow. So I'm just not even guessing on the lilies. Some of the crinums and things probably won't bloom because uh, they they suffered. I mean, I, I've seen more things really damaged in the way of uh, annuals and perennials and even bulbs. I've seen more this year than I did last year, even though it wasn't nearly as cold, just because we didn't have the snow to protect them this year, and we had all that warm weather followed by some really chilly temperatures. So I'm beyond trying to yeah. predict these crazy things, but I, I wouldn't give up. I think there's still a good chance that you may get some good flowers. Yeah. Hey, my my onions are already bolting. I think I'm I may just retire from onion growing. What have you heard on that? I was looking at mine yesterday, and I've got just a couple of them bolting. But uh, we'll see what happens. Again, the weather's done some weird things to them this year. But <laughs> fortunately, I was being very thankful because I I love the onions. But I only had one out of about two hundred plants bolting. So so far, so good. Okay, great. Well, not all actually not all mine are bolting, but I sure said slow down. Yeah, you and me both. You get out and okay, enjoy well, your beautiful mountain air. Okay. And all we'll right. talk again soon. Thanks, Joe. Well, okay, bye. <laughs> Goodbye. All right, Joe's a, uh, a a wintertime San Antonio and a summertime Colorado, and uh, another couple of months we'll all be very jealous. Next in line is Greg. Good morning, Greg. Good morning. Hey, a couple quick questions about uh, plants that deer will or will not eat. What okay. about mountain laurel? They almost totally leave mountain laurel alone. It has some toxic stuff in it. I, when deer get hungry enough, I've seen them eat cedar trees. So uh, if they're hungry enough, they might. But uh, mountain laurel is, is close to what I would call deer proof. Okay. What about viburnum? 
Viburnum suspensum, the Sandanqua viburnum, they tend to leave it alone very well. Your bigger, shinier leaves, the odoratissimum, the chindo, the mirror leaf, those they're probably going to eat on. But the Viburnum suspensum, which is one they call Sandanqua, makes a good shrub, about six feet tall. I've never seen deer eat that one. Great. What about Turk's Cap and Plumbago? Again, they're not on the favorites list, but uh, if they get hungry enough, they will eat it. Uh, in the places around my ranch where Turk's Cap grows wild, uh, they they get the ones that are out in the open, but the ones that are back, you know, tucked in among the cedars, unless they're really hungry, uh, those get protected. So they're, they're not quite as high on the list, but... Uh, uh, the deer don't like them as much until they get quite hungry. Boxwood is also in that category. They will rarely touch boxwood. Uh, rarely do they touch abelia. If you're looking for a flowering shrub, uh, they really don't go for that one. And most of things, uh, if you're looking for a real spreading shrub, they usually leave primrose jasmine alone. They're, those are a pretty good start. They, they don't like the native lantanas, but a lot of the uh, modern hybrids, when they first come from the nursery where they've been really pushing them along with lots of fertilizer, they will eat them. But once they get it on an organic program, they, they start developing a lot more essential oils and they, they don't touch them much. Uh, they usually totally leave rosemary alone and most all of the salvias, especially salvia gregii, they leave alone. We've got all this written down on a list. If you ever want to stop by and pick one up, I'd be happy to share it with you. Great. Hey, can you train a mountain laurel to be more of a shrub than a tree by trimming it? Yeah, absolutely. I think they're actually much better as a shrub because, and I've seen them as a big single trunk tree with the trunk six inches in diameter, and then I've seen us get a little ice storm and a little wind and just seen them snapped off on the ground. So I much prefer them as a multi-trunked plant. And yes, by cutting back the taller trunks, you can certainly encourage them to branch and come out that way. Great. All right. Well, thanks. You're certainly welcome. Thank you for the call this morning. Okay, let's see. Chris, why don't we go ahead and get a break out of the way so we won't get behind, and we'll come back and talk to Jan and Barbara a moment. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to the phone lines. Gosh, it's a beautiful morning to be talking about gardening. It'll be an even better morning to be getting out and doing some of it. And looks like uh, Jan and Barbara are my next two callers. Jan is up first. Good morning, Jan. Morning, Bob. Good morning. I have a couple, couple of questions. Um, I have some fountain grass, I guess it's called. It has those light pink plumages. Yeah. But, you know, turn brown over the winter. Do I cut back all that brown? You might as well. Fountain grass is um, some parts, when you get further south, it's always evergreen. In San Antonio, it usually freezes down and comes back. Uh, some of it, the past couple of years, has actually frozen and died. But uh, it will be, I, I like leaving the brown foliage on for the winter months because it just kind of looks like winter. But by this time of the year, I'd definitely be cutting the brown off so that the green can come through. If you wait until you start getting the green, it's real hard to get rid of the brown without damaging the, the green leaves coming up. And then they'll always have a brown tip on them. So I think it'd be a great project for today. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I don't see any green yet, but I haven't looked down in there. But I want right. to cut it back, and my husband goes, no, leave it alone. I'm like, 
Well, but when it comes back, it's going to be mixed green and brown. Yeah. And that's not no, work. you you win that particular argument. I'd I'd go ahead and cut it back, or better still, tell him to do it. But I guess it's better chance of getting done if you do it. So you've got your you've got your assignment for the afternoon. <laughs> All right, and um, <laughs> we're going to get a flower bed planted in the front of up by the street, and it gets full sun all day long, uh-huh. and it's about 20 feet wide by about six foot deep, uh-huh. and I already have the mailboxes there, one of those rock, you know, square mailbox tall uh-huh. thing, and then there's a small, um, and, and I'm sure it's a shorter crepe myrtle, because it okay. had never grown. I have some tall ones that are about 30 feet in the yard, but not that <laughs> Right. And I want to put like a satsuma at the other end and then in between. Do you have any like ideas of a low-growing um, bush that I could use in the back and then come up front with some foxtail ferns and different things like that? Oh, golly, there, there are lots of choices. Um, low-growing, meaning two to three feet, there's some compact abelias that stay very pretty and will bloom it off and on through the summer. There are some varieties of salvia, like salvia gregii, that is evergreen. That It's going to stop at about two feet in height, and the flowers will be taller than that. The salvia leucantha, or the Mexican bush sage, is going to get maybe three feet tall. It's evergreen, and heavy flowers spring and fall, but not as much in the middle of the summer. Uh, there are several different uh, things that will, you know, come up. Might freeze if it gets really cold. But the Esperanzas, uh, there's the old standard yellow that gets really big, but there are a bunch of new compact varieties that only grow about four feet tall. There's a red, an orange, a yellow, sort of a butterscotch color, and those things just bloom up a storm all summer long. I'm very fond of those. Uh, there are lantanas, both spreading and bush forms. Uh, there's quite an array of different colorful material that you can put out there that would be pretty well, I easy to maintain. About yeah, <clears throat> and the, I the bush. Mostly everything that will come back, and if yeah. I wanted extra color, I don't mind putting a pot or two of flowers out there. Sure, you know, during sure. The season. Well, the lantana is good, and there are some of the salvias that don't even freeze down. The the gregii in particular is going to be in bloom probably ten months out of the year. And uh, it's what color it, blooms does it have? Do you know? There's a oh god, there's a a white, a red, a hot pink. There's one they call salsa that's sort of a tangerine orange color. There's one called Nuevo León, which is uh, kind of a lavender purple color. Uh, there's one called Hot Lips that uh, the flowers are a combination red and white. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so yeah, there, there are many, many different salvia gregii, okay. and they're they're wonderful plants. They're deerproof and sunproof, and uh, evergreen and all, but the very coldest winters. Oh, that's awesome! What I have in the backyard is driving me crazy. I have blue plumbago, mm-hmm. and that has spread like crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and it will, and that's one reason I wasn't suggesting it. It will grow in the full sun, but it also grows in partial shade. But it'd be growing out over the sidewalk and into the street, and probably would end up being yeah. a trip hazard. Yeah, we had a blue plumbago forest out there. My son planted. I go, gosh, that's everywhere. He goes, yeah, isn't it great? I go, no. <laughs> <laughs> different strokes for different folks, as they say. Well, I had it at my other house, but it didn't spread. But it was in quite a bit of shade, and so sure. it, it it got maybe morning sun through the trees, and that was it. So it never spread, and it didn't 
bloom for a long period, but it did you bloom. Know, you know, there's one other thing too, Jan. You might be a little better gardener now than you, than you were way back then, and maybe you're just growing things a little bit better these days. So uh, <laughs> there are many reasons for it. Right. Okay. Well, you have a great uh, Sunday, and we'll talk to you next time. I look forward to it. Thank you so much. Right. Goodbye. Certainly. Barbara's up next. Good morning, Barbara. Good morning. Um, I have a couple questions. One is about asparagus. I've called you about asparagus before. It's just a uh-huh. constant battle with my asparagus. But I have a four by eight foot uh, raised asparagus bed. Um, this previous year, when the big freeze, I lost. I lost some of it. That didn't come back. About half of it. So the half that came back is probably three years old, and it's producing now. Um, and then I put some in in the fall to replace the other. And uh, I saw like one little tiny shoot, and that's all. In addition, the one that is producing now, a lot of them are immediately going to fern. And I know I'm supposed to leave the fern, you know, the wispy ferns until the freeze and then cut them back. But should I just let them go even now at this point, those wispy ferns? And what should I do about if you feel like if you feel like the plants are good and strong, no, you cut off the wispy ferns. Those are those are the same ones that if you had picked them, you know, two days earlier, they would have been really good. But um, that's the thing when you're picking asparagus, you need to pick everything that comes out, and if anything goes to fern before uh, you get a chance to pick it and eat it, cut it off because it's taking oh, really? taking it all off. That's what forces it to keep on putting on more. If so you cut it all you, to the ground now, even uh, if it's wispy? it's. It, it, I would say it depends. If if more than half the plants are starting to grow, then I don't know that I would cut it back that far. But you can continue to harvest for a while. But from what you're telling me, I think you probably need to water more because uh, okay. we, you know, when it's dry and we get severe cold, uh, it can be hard on the plants. But with proper water, you shouldn't have lost very many of them in the freeze. It's uh, It probably was a little too dry, and especially in the winter months. A lot of people forget about watering, but that asparagus right. wants to be watered once a week, even in the dead of winter. And the new little ones that I put in in the fall, if I'm not seeing much, are they going to make it? Should I put more in or just... Wait keep and watering and see what happens. I'll wait, wait and see, and, see okay. and, and fertilize. You know, some uh, super thrive, some has to grow. I don't think you're going to find much more asparagus this late. So let's do the right. best with what you have. As long as you didn't plant them too deep down, most of them will come out. But they would love some warm sunshine, plentiful water, and a little bit of fertilizer mixed in. Okay. All right. And a question about tulips. Somebody gave me a tulip plant two or three weeks ago, you know, I I guess probably, you know, from grocery stores, beautiful, blooming, purple blossoms. Um, And so should I live in Bulverde? Should I should I plant uh, cut it off? to down to the bulb and and put the bulb in in a bag in the refrigerator now or what do i do with it to you know you want to spend do you want to spend twenty dollars worth of time to grow a dollar plant right (laughs) tulips yeah tulips are just hard to really do well with they're going to be pretty once but if you really want them to be pretty again, what you need to do is plant them, water them, fertilize them, encourage them to be just green and vegetative all as much as you can. And then when the foliage starts to die back in the summer, you dig them up, put them in the refrigerator, not in the freezer, but let them spend right. six months in the refrigerator. And maybe they will bloom again. And for the bulb that you could have bought for a dollar, you know, you'll invest a lot of time trying to 
get it to again. <laughs> okay. If it has some sentimental attachment or something like that, yeah, mm-hmm. go for it. And if you're just uh, blessed with more time than you know what to do with, that's one thing. But I greatly envy you if that's the case. I, okay. I don't have trouble time time no. to fool with doing something like that. And that's really it's it's especially true of tulips. Uh, hyacinths, you can usually get two or three bloom, blooming periods out of the, uh, naturalizing narcissus come back year after year, but the big old jonquils and things, those are more of them that you really have to work with if you're going to try to get them to come back. Okay. All right. And a quick, uh, Esperanza question. I have an Esperanza that uh, has probably been in for 10 years. It always blooms beautifully, grows to be eight feet tall, at least, you know, in every summer. Um, cut it back to, uh, we had cut it back to probably 12 to 14 inches. Um, it's got some, some of the, the, the trunk stem parts are probably inch, inch and a quarter diameter. Uh-huh. I see nothing coming from it yet, and I've been watering it. Uh, is it still possible that it's just late? Oh, yeah, it's late. And if if we, and, and I was telling my business partner, I wish we'd actually done this, uh, done a better job of keeping track of soil temperatures. But with the weather that we've had, I'm going to bet you that most of the soils out there are about 10 degrees cooler than they typically would be this time of year. And so oh, okay. plants respond to what their roots are feeling, and the roots are still feeling pretty chilled. So I certainly wouldn't give up on your Esperanza. I think there's a, probably a 90% chance that it will be back. Okay, and I, I don't have any more questions, but just something to celebrate, my passion vine. I had bought one years ago, um, one little plant, and now I've got probably 20-foot kind of hedge of it. It just grows like crazy. It's very difficult. To, it, I love it, but it's um, very difficult to transplant. Is it even yeah. possible to transplant that? It. You know, what you want to do, you know how the little vines kind of sprout up here and there around the bed? Uh, oh, yes. When you uh-huh. find one of those sprouting up, let it grow to about 12 inches tall and then cut it up. You will find that it's probably got some roots down on the bottom end, and that's the best way to propagate it. You can also do it from mature wood cuttings in the fall, but this time of year, you're best to just take some of those little adventitious shoots that are coming up and let them get about a foot tall, and then just with a shovel, just get a big shovel full of dirt, and you'll probably be successful in moving it. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much. That answers all my questions today. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure. I appreciate the call this morning. Have a wonderful Sunday, and thank you. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. Looks like we'll probably finish the show up with Elaine and Pam and Frank, and Elaine is first in line. Good morning, Elaine. Good morning. Um, Good morning. I'm trying to uh, convert some of the sand in Lavernia to good medium to grow vegetables in. What do I need to do to it? Compost, compost, and a little bit more compost on top of that. Beyond that, you can be spraying uh, molasses, either dry or liquid. Liquid is a little bit more cost-effective. But even though we can't see the bacteria that it supports, bacteria do more to build soil than anything else we can do. But um, to do it overnight, to have something you can plant next week, uh, just blending in as much compost as you can afford, be certain that... You're getting it from companies that, um, let's just put it this way, a lot of the manures out there nowadays are contaminated with uh, 
this chemical herbicide called picloram or another one of the sulfonated ureal herbicides. If you have anybody who offers you manure and you know that they're, you know, that they have not used it or they're not feeding hay that's been sprayed, that, of course, is free and very, very good. Uh, if you have access, let's say, to manure and you don't know if it might be contaminated, you can do what we call the bucket test where you just take a five-gallon bucket, fill it about two-thirds full of manure, fill it with water and let it stand overnight and then you go and use that water, pour it over, not a grass, but a broadleaf weed like a clover, dandelion, something like that, and watch it for about 48 hours. If the weed continues to grow, then you're just fine. If the weed starts getting brown edges on the leaves and starts to shrivel, then you know you've got the herbicide in that manure and you need to stay away from it. Okay, well, I do have chicken uh, manure. Oh, chicken manure, man, there's there's nothing better than chicken manure and rabbit manure because, uh, you know, they're not eating the potentially sprayed hay, so uh, the, you'll never have too much of that. You probably want to let it age for a month or two before you actually put it in place that you're going to plant immediately. If you're just getting this bed ready now and you don't plan to plant until midsummer, just take that raw manure and work it right into the sand. Okay. Well, that's what I needed to know then. I'm at Phoenix fixing to go shopping. <laughs> well, keep up the good work, and remember, no garden is ever really quite big enough, so uh, yeah. just line up all you possibly can. And if you know anybody raising rabbits, again, that is some of also some of the, yeah. the best material you can use. And, you can again, you can use it immediately. It's just the chicken manure or pretty much all poultry manure, geese and other things, and turkeys. It's just a little hot to be planting in immediately, but time passes pretty quickly. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Bob. Hey, it's my pleasure. Thank you for the call this morning. Uh, Pam is up next. Good morning, Pam. Hey, good morning, Bob. Good morning. I have a, I've got a, um, an area in my yard, and I live out in the country, and I mow whatever weeds are growing become my lawn. Uh-huh. Uh, Mine, too. But I have, <laughs> I have about a 30-foot by 30-foot area where I'll call it stinging nettle. Uh-huh. I looked it up, and it doesn't look like stinging nettle, but it sure stings you if you touch it. Okay. It looks kind of like a smaller leaf, like a uh, cilantro-looking leaf uh-huh. kind of a thing. But yeah, I don't know what it is. Nettle. It has those little hairs on it, and it burns like crazy. Yes, indeed. I sprayed it with the 30% vinegar, and it didn't kill it. I'm trying to find a way to get rid of that stuff. What I would do is shred it off, mow it off to the ground as low as you can possibly do it. And then if it tries to sprout out, spray it at that point. Because the the problem with so many of the nettles is those little hairs, as you so accurately described them, they also tend to make any liquid bead up on the surface. And the vinegar doesn't really get down to the leaf where it needs to be. So the newest vegetation is easier to kill. And in addition to your vinegar and orange oil, add a little bit of dish soap to it, just a few drops of soap. Okay. And that way it'll penetrate down through those hairs and do a much better job of killing this issue underneath. Okay. Okay, great. I'm ready to get rid of that stuff. It's horrible. Oh, it's there. <laughs> There, it's kind of like uh, my summers that I spent in a wildlife management area in West Texas. Our our saying out there was, "Everything here either sticks you, stings you, or bites you," and that <laughs> that that'll I, I, I think that'll worth in cactuses myself. But I, I think you'll find those tips will help you control it a great deal. Okay. 
Great. And also, I hear you talk about beneficial nematodes, and I have no idea what those are, where you get them or how you use them. Well, there are there are probably well over a million different kinds of nematodes out there. A handful of them are harmful to animals and even to people. Uh, a number of them are very damaging. They're harmful to insects and other things. And most of them, we really don't know what the heck they do. They're just, you know, out there in the, you know, in the microbiome. But there are some companies that have been very successful at taking certain species of nematodes and being able to reproduce them and sell them in a form that you can put around your yard. There are beneficial nematodes that totally control fleas. There are beneficial nematodes that totally control grub worms. There are beneficial nematodes that totally control the thrips insect. Just we, The reason we call them beneficial is just that they get rid of things that we want to get rid mm-hmm. of. Now, there are, they are sold in a number of different ways. I'm not real crazy about the ones that are sold dry. A lot of nurserymen, things like them. They're actually in, uh, usually in vermiculite or something like that. And I'm not crazy about them because I don't think they control as broad a range of different insects. By the way, they also control fire ants very well. We like a company out of Colorado called Hydro Gardens that actually put a blend of, well, they make more than one blend, but they put five to seven different species of nematodes together. They sell theirs as live nematodes on a little blue sponge. Uh, they don't, you can't keep them on the shelf for six months like you can the dry ones. They they live about, they'll keep in the refrigerator for about two weeks. So I tell people don't buy them until you're ready to put them out. But okay. they have been the most successful thing I have ever found. If you have an issue with fleas or if you have an issue you know, with grub worms or chinch bugs or just a lot of different things. Now, as we like to say, nematodes don't crawl. They don't walk. They uh, they swim. So the tough thing about putting them out this time of year is your soil needs to be moist. So most of us, what we're going to do is wait until it rains and we're going to run out and get some beneficial nematodes and spray them out. If you have a relatively small area to do, say you've got a small yard and you're dealing with flea issues for your puppy dogs, what you do is just water the area thoroughly, Put your beneficial nematodes out and then water lightly to wash them down off the blades of the grass and stuff down into the soil. But they And they work in different ways. In some cases, the nematode itself actually kills the target organism, so to speak. In other cases, the nematode gets a certain kind of bacteria on its outer, I'll call it a skin, it would properly be called a cuticle, and the nematode penetrates into the flea or whatever else and it's not the nematode that kills but it's this bacteria that are riding along on the nematode then they kill the grub worm or they kill the flea so they they, they're just many different kinds and they work in different ways what they have in common is that they're harmless to people and pets but they there's nothing toxic about them and it's just a it's just a real natural way to control a lot of things that we don't like in our yard, I guess would be the best way to sum it up. But the main things we use them for, this time of year, we're going to use them for grubworm control. Pretty much 12 months out of the year, we use them for flea control. 
in the fall and winter months, we'll actually use them to control ticks because, you know, obviously nematodes can't climb trees. But in the winter months, the ticks are down at ground level, and the nematodes do a very good job of keeping them under control. Uh, they also, in the winter months, they, we have a nasty little insect called a thrips insect that's very damaging to many right. flowers. And once they are up and flying around, obviously the nematodes can't do anything to them, but the nematodes control the larvae of the thrips insect down in the soil. So if we're having a thrips insect on roses or something like that, then we'll put them out in uh, December and January to control those. So it, it's not just as simple as buying a few of them and putting them out. You, there's a lot to be said for timing, and there's a lot to be said for knowing exactly when to put them out for any specific pest that they work against. And like I said, if it's something that doesn't spend any of its life in the soil, the nematodes aren't going to do much against it. So if it's on a sponge, how do you get it out of the sponge and into the soil? Okay, you... you I should have told you about that. You simply you put this little blue sponge, soak it in water for oh, okay. you know fifteen minutes or so. Then you can either put it in a sprayer, you can put it uh, in a watering can. If you're doing a big area, we just use a standard sprayer on the end of the hose. What you have to do most of this this type of sprayer they have. On the top, they have a little tube that goes down in the liquid that sucks it up. There will be a little filter down on the bottom of that. You just pop that off before you start spraying because that would keep your nematodes from, uh-huh. you know, going up very okay. easily. But uh, there are a lot of different ways to use them, and they, like I say, they're totally safe and very, very effective. In fact, well, they're good. the only well, thing I've I... really found that works well against fleas. Uh-huh. Well, good. Well, I, I didn't hear about them, and I couldn't imagine what they were. <laughs> well, I'm glad you ask about them, and uh, you call anytime you have a question about that. I appreciate it. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thank you. All right, we'll probably finish the show up today with Frank. Good morning, Frank. Bob, how's everybody down there in San Antonio? So far as I know, everybody that I'm associated with is pretty good, except for Dr. Kirby, who got a bad bee sting last night. So uh, we're going to skip the pet show today. You'll get to hear a best of with Dr. Kirby, but I think uh, he'll be back next week. But uh, I think everybody else I know is doing pretty good. Well, apparently those stingings, uh, stinging things are out and about. I picked up a, a five-gallon bucket that had been laying on its side for a couple of weeks, and there was already a nest being prepared oh, yeah. in there, and one of them tagged the living hell out of me, and I got a finger that's swollen, but we'll make it somehow. Well, uh, and those red ones, I've I've never seen as many red wasps as I'm seeing flying around trying to start colonies right now. I put up with the yellow jackets. I put up with the, the little black wasps because they kill a lot of uh, caterpillars and things like that. But those blasted red wasps, they are aggressive, and they are building everywhere i do recommend if you can grow yourself some comfrey because it'll take the the pain out of a wasp sting or a scorpion sting very quickly if you don't have a place to grow some comfrey uh, go to Rhonda's nature's way sometime she has it in a tube that's called trauma cream or comfrey trauma cream or something like that and that'll sure help if you get nailed but uh no they do you have any uh do you have any comfrey plants down there at your place right now not yet. Not yet. We'll have them probably in about two or three weeks. Okay, because uh, my girlfriend is going to take me down to Poteet for their strawberry festival, and we were planning to swing back by your place on the way back uh, to Washington County. 
Well, and, that uh, sounds wonderful. Call the day or two ahead, and if we have them, we'll put your name on them and set them aside for you. I love that. You're a wonderful human being. Oh, don't know uh, about that, but uh, we do best to take uh, care of our friends. <laughs> oh, you're all right. Uh, I've got a question about a crepe myrtle. It's been in the ground for probably maybe 35 years. Uh-huh. And... It's in a place where we can't get any water to it. It's uh, down in a driveway area, and I thought it was gone after we had a little cold spell like uh-huh. February of 21. I don't know if you remember that. <laughs> Painfully. Look, I'm going to have to talk quickly because we're almost out of time here, but mulch it heavily with lava sand. Lava sand is, and first of all, be sure that roof layer is exposed, but lava sand is actually hygroscopic. It will, when we have high humidity, it'll actually pull moisture out of the air. It also will hold a lot more moisture in the soil and in an area where it's tough to get water to it, um, it would be, that's probably the best thing that you could uh, use it's as a got, mulch around it's it. Got new, it's got new growth coming out of it. I didn't yeah. know it was this late. I'm sorry, Bob. But it's got new growth, four foot high. Uh, I'm pulling all the dead wood off of it. What's the best fertilizer to give it, other, you know, not to Same shock? Same thing you put on the ground.